All right, so we're right after the finale here, guys. What'd you think? Yeah, welcome to the Christian Timmer Six Super Special. <laughs> we we suffer for our art. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, at the beginning of the episode, for the listeners and for my players, I talk about how you know endings are incredibly difficult, and even my favorite anime, Outlaw Star. Uh, as like I don't like the ending very much, but the adventure, the, the whole process is, is fine for me. But I'm interested in kind of hearing what you guys thought about the ending. I mean, obviously it feels kind of bad that we were never going to win from the start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tim, it sounds like you agree with that. I do, I do agree with that. I was always all ready for Victor to just die <laughs> and to save his wife and child. And no, it just burns away. But no, you it's kept gone. me alive, you scumbag. You kept me alive. Why would you do that? It's like um, it's from a movie. See, it's hard. It's it's hard to you know put a lot of myself in the characters. Mm-hmm. So like immediately after, it's a bit of a sour feeling. Yeah, definitely. N- not not to mark the content of the ending, but the the implications of the ending. Yeah, definitely how it makes you feel. Which Worthless. I did. I did not understand until right there at the end that oh wait, Landers is going to stay with him, and like this is it. I was like, oh no, is that? Yeah, I, maybe- I think you were confused there. I thought maybe you were too. Because you you may sound like, I'll do the brave thing and go ahead. And we were like, what? But don't worry, in editing, it'll sound like you understood it flawlessly. Okay, I hope so, because I was a little confused there. <laughs> this is a great example of some we'll probably talk about a little bit later, which was my, um, what I have self-described it as my stranglehold on the story. It was like a moment where I, I had planned for Kentaro and Lanris to die that way, right there. But it's one of those things where like, I didn't say to... Christian, all right, I want you to die here, okay? Like you, it seemed like you made that decision yourself. Oh, entirely, yes. Were you happy with it? Were you happy with it? Your little sort of post credits, as it were. Um, I think that was a very apropos ending. Um, the way I always saw it going was that if Lanris ever lost Kentaro, like he would have seen himself as losing anything and basically would have like sacrificed himself at any point. Hmm. And like, like he said, like he's never done anything he's felt proud of. Yeah. Definitely, I was been- uh, I th- I, I'll be alluding to, like, a lot of stuff I write up in the journals I make. So, like, if I'm ever not specific about something, tell me. <laughs> or if I allude to something sure. that we didn't explicitly do in the podcast. Yeah. But that's been a thing about Landers. He sort of felt worthless. You, you've even played him as a, he makes bad decisions that you as Christian are like, that's probably not the best decision. Right, yes. Which is funny. It's originally how I was going to kind of play Victor, but then I saw you were doing it and doing it better. I ended up changing Victor. Victor ended up being a character that really wasn't what I was planning on. He ended up being, I guess, oh. more of myself. I was going to make him more of a uh, not so optimistic. And then y'all were saying, well, you know, you're a good guy and you're very optimistic. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just run with that. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I remember, I remember in your backstory, Tim, uh, you, you talked a little more like Jimmy Lang. You're a little more Jimmy Lang. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it didn't end up that way. So it's fine. But it's fine. It, it ended up better. Mm-hmm. It was just like, uh, oh, well, Landris is doing that. And, and Christian, you know, with Landris, he's doing that. And he's doing it better. So I just let him him do that yeah. and uh, <laughs> just took it in a different direction. That's fine. That's how it goes. We had, we had the good cop, bad cop dynamic. Yeah. Especially when you got your investigator hats on and did Law and Order. That's right. <laughs> best episode, so the best ridiculous. episode all season. <laughs> it, brings up the, it, it brings up the question of, like, do the protagonist characters, do they have to be like these, you know, perfect righteous people mm-hmm. no like I, I didn't want to tell the, you know the story of you know righteous does everything right like why can't why can't the protagonist have flaws and which was great because i always have like sort of a theme or something i'm trying to get across in each of my campaigns and last season's theme really was the good guys trying to do right but they see that 
in a fallen world, even if you know and have a really solid idea of what right is, it's not that easy. And so we didn't, we don't need to retread that ground. I'm happy we didn't with this season. So <laughs> speaking of like stuff of Vic that kind of fell to the wayside, what happened to your drug addiction? Yeah, well, that, that was went, like that went with super it. hinted at, but never really came to light. That went with it, and I was like, "Well, I don't know." It just seemed like it wasn't gonna really work, so I just kind of let it. Oh, you were forced to sober up when you couldn't get to medical place anymore because the police were after you. That's right, and then there was just so much going on. I think with Victor, it would have just been more of a um, a mind thing. Like he would think, "I have to have it," but there's just so much going on that's distracting him. Mm-hmm. That he just didn't, it didn't really appear. Oh, yeah. It's the same reason I gain uh, five pounds every summer. It's because I don't school anymore. So I'm just at my computer all day going, hmm, soda and pretzels. This will never stop. But when I'm at school, I'm not eating <laughs> as much. But I mean, there's just so much going on. And then, you know, the, with the dreams and Slender Man and then all that that took after that, it's just some one thing after another. It just didn't, mm-hmm. didn't happen. Plus, I didn't have money to buy it. Yeah. So bittersweet, I've, I've said many times, I'm a proponent of that feeling and, uh, that not a lot of sweet in there kind <laughs> of <laughs> just bitter <laughs> that was a it was it was definitely something i wanted for for lanris's character um i really hate stories that end everyone's happy and everyone's like and it's just not i'm so not into that yet you like anime <laughs> like i said i liked that stop or not the ending but so for like your ending i i didn't want your parents to be all happy and and they're saved and everything to me they had been lost it was a big part of your character that he felt that loss and I think it would almost be a betrayal to the character to be like, ah, oh, don't worry, you don't feel lost. They're cool now. They were on that final train to Willoughby. And while you had people like your sister and Kentaro got to take you into that that sort of party, that the happier place, uh, did you get that sort of bittersweet feeling I was trying to convey? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, it definitely feels better from the Landers' perspective to die because like, he felt like he died doing something of import, mm-hmm. where it turns out not at all. <laughs> but you know who wasn't there? Shiva wasn't there. No, she wasn't. Uh, 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 this is spoilers. Hey, you know who else wasn't there? Booker. <gasps> Season oh, three, everybody. Booker. It's going to be Skeletal Booker. <laughs> Come back. Well, yeah, but you, but you said friends. That's true. I did say friends. <laughs> Shiva was a coward. How'd you feel about Shiva's death? See, now you say death. Yeah. Shiva's exit. Oh. <laughs> it was good. It, it was um. It was totally in Shiva's character to do that. So I mean, I, it was a while. Of, I mean, a couple of episodes ago, wasn't it? So all right, Caleb, you're asking if you're asking if you realize that you're really clever and she did the same thing that the Earth Elemental did to the to the dragon. Yeah, I get it. I get it. That's what you're going for. Actually, good job. <laughs> thank you, but I don't know what you're talking about. The Elemental shoved itself in the gears of the dragon, and Shiva shoved herself in the, the element thing of the plane, the helicopter. What huh? was this? Hope's memories. That the, dra- oh, the dragon that, was, that the er- yes, that was the analogy I was making. I'm glad you pointed it out and caught it, <laughs> Christian. Don't worry, I got I got it, Caleb. I know, I know. <laughs> you nailed it. Well, uh, just for you know the listeners' sake, what exactly would that analogy be uh, trying to convey? <laughs> just uh, just for I know, I know the answer, of course. Uh, that. <laughs> that Shiva's death was analogous to the uh, sacrifice of the Earth Elemental, although obviously in, uh, in Hope's memory that shoved itself in the dragon. No, I, it, it, honestly, there's no connection because I don't what, what like ooh the Earth. I know Shiva didn't see it, but like I thought you were going for like that theme. No, like, okay, it was there before. It's this foreshadowing kind of. Oh uh, no, no, and there's no like there was no connection to that Earth Elemental. It's just an elemental. Who cares? No, I, I'm still just. You but know, good catch, Christian. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, All right. I, that was me doing foreshadowing because I'm so good at it. It's a happy accident, as Bob Ross would say. Yeah. It, it goes from Landers' perspective in that, like, he, they didn't really mourn Shiva. They didn't really have time. 
you know, he was thinking like we like we need to push that all till later like we can't deal with that right now as per her character though i think it was very fitting I think that that was a consistency throughout the entire campaign is you really never got to mourn your losses. And the times you did, it felt rushed and unsatisfying. Hope, uh, uh, Koba, you just like poured a little thing out in the ocean after having to fight a big monster and then just have him going, now getting arrested. There's like no time. Which when Stallion died, she just there was no funeral. She's just thrown out in the ocean. It's just every every death was it was always we'll we'll have a time later and that time never comes. Remember even making a like funeral plans with Tar for uh, Koba mm-hmm. and Stallion, and then he died. Yeah, Tar just unceremoniously like the, the what what funeral happened? What 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 sort of honoring that was significant and satisfying happened? It never really did. Even with Hannibal, it's just like we gotta go. There's things on our trail. There's there's never a chance. There's always something else happening, which is sort of kind of leads into. What I want to talk about, which is stranglehold I had on the story. This this was a very new way of GMing for me. This was railroading twenty four sev on the reg, and it was something I tried to I tried to prepare my players for. I'm not sure how much preparing really could ever mitigate sort of the problems that can occur. But yeah, this whole thing it was like usually you can listen to some Pathfinder Academy episodes, maybe even the Q and A from season one. I explain how I sort of run things. But this, and that, just to give you a brief about that, it's like I have big moments, and then I let my players decide everything else in between. Here, I had nearly everything planned, and a lot of it sort of was the well. I think this is I know my players well enough that I think Landris and Kentaro are going to stay. Like, Landris is going to stay behind with Kentaro, and they're going to die. So I can plan that that's going to happen. And if that's not what's how it's going to happen, I have to railroad it so that that, that is going to happen. But it doesn't you'd be surprised how many times I, I couldn't predict it correctly and didn't have to say, all right, Tim, could you please just do this instead? Which I had to do. I think, luckily, it was only a few times. The time it really comes to my mind now is when you were going to Locke's office and you were going to leave. And I said to my players, can you guys talk to him instead of sort of what I had planned? There wasn't a ton of other times when that happened aside from the last few episodes. Can you think of any? No, uh, nothing major. I never. And when you did, when you told me, I'm different than Christian here. But when you told me, I never felt like, OK, yeah, I would never do that. So I'm not going to do that. But, you know, it was I was always OK with it. But I know that Christian felt a little bit different on a few of those. I will I will say from my perspective that there was a lot of times where um I didn't voice wanting to otherwise, but I kind of just got the feeling like, oh, that's clearly not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of like went along with it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and and I do appreciate that. It's it's really was. This is something that just right off the bat, I'm going to tell you, I never, ever want to do this again. Uh, I actually really hated it. <laughs> uh, but I, th- I felt it good for, A, I wanted to, to flex my jamming muscles doing something I didn't normally do. And, uh, and, and this was, we're working with a different beast here when we do a, a, a podcast. There's some decisions I have to make for the benefit of 350 listeners, 400, 450, 500 now, uh, as opposed to my two players. You know what I mean? And uh, which is always a, a um, kind of a, a time of confrontation uh, when that sort of has to happen. I have to make that decision. But that was part of the reason I sort of had the stranglehold. Season three is going to be nowhere near that. Season three, again, a departure from the way I normally do things. It's going to be open world and it's going to be uh, pretty crazy. I've never done that before. Um, but, you know, even like the first two chapters of this season, I had purposely put into every single episode a moment, usually a significant moment, where I didn't plan what was going to happen. That way I could try to become a better imp- improviser. And it's I think I didn't really do that past chapter two. And I think it was mostly in chapter one and just in some in chapter two. Definitely actually, you know, now I think about, I think in almost every episode of chapter two. 
I tried to have the improv moment because again, I was trying to, to to teach myself to be better at something by just doing it, which I think was the only thing that helped balance out how uh, railroady everything was. And and I and I say that with a lot of self awareness because a podcast just finished at the time of this recording uh, that I really really love, a podcast that's like three years old or something uh, called uh, The Adventure Zone. They finished their first season of a three year adventure that was bi weekly. And it was incredible and I loved it. And I hated pretty much the last six episodes because they were, it was a train to the GM town. He knew what he wanted and he railroaded very hard. And it was like, this was not why I listened to this podcast. And so, uh, but I think there, there, there was sort of the difference here is this was, it was the entire season. It wasn't just the, you know, at the end there. And I tried to at least keep, you know, some of that illusion, at least for the, the listeners. And I really want to do a whole episode, uh, Pathfinder Academy now, about the illusion of choice. Because another big experiment I did in this this season is I never, or if ever, it was like once of all the hours we played, lied to my players. I told them everything. Everything that was happening. Things that you would never tell your players in a million years. There's a point where I told you, the last boss is going to be Baron. And it's like four episodes till that happened. I... I told them so much when it came to roles i would i admitted every single role that ever happened if i was changing a role i'd tell you hey, critical but that's not going to happen now and i did it on purpose and i was like what is going to happen this would be very interesting to see what it's like when you actually don't try to give the illusion of choice to your players when you just let them know everything and i would love to do an episode about it now but i'd love to hear your reactions now to that absolute honesty you got this season how did it feel to not have your would you prefer some of that illusion of choice well, speaking my perspective, it's going to be kind of a dissenting opinion um, in that the, the like whole reason, I think, playing and listening to RPGs is to make choices, to see what choices characters make, see how those choices influence the world. In this campaign in particular, because of the railroading, and especially toward the end, we didn't really make ever any choices. I, I want to say the only actual choice we were really ever presented that I would consider like of import was the circus um, Dr. Ulujah is offering us, you know, sell your soul for information on the thing. I think that's really the only thing I would ever consider a choice mm. that we were presented, which most of the time it wasn't really a big deal because it was just the progression of the story. Right. But uh, I will say that toward the end, it did feel, especially the last few episodes, it felt more like what I would call a walkthrough. Like our characters were just kind of there, would be presented with this is the thing, and then we just kind of give our analysis of it and move on. Mm. That's how it felt from my perspective. So I wasn't a huge fan of that. Um, as for like saying like, hey, hey, Vic or Landris, you got crit by a times four weapon. That's kind of dumb. Um, I'm going to not kill you. I think that's a good thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, I know the one that you did, uh, you um, negated for me. Like I was literally at full health and just got crit by a random weapon. That's a times four multiplier. And it would have actually killed me in entirety from full health. Right. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's what we play the game for. <laughs> Right, and do, would you prefer for that to happen behind the scenes, or were you happy to hear it? In the case of this campaign, yeah. I like it better being told, because it's nice to know that if we're being railroaded, we are being afforded right. these okay. conveniences. Because there was one uh, recently where I was, my guy was going to die, and you were like, no, I, I don't want that, I'm just going to just bring you down to one. Yeah, I literally and said, you like, dying now is bad for the story, you're at one health. Yeah, so, you mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was fine. It was, Did that feel cheap? I, no. Okay. No, it, it didn't feel cheap because I knew you were you would have a story. Also, this was I've GM'd a lot, but this was my first time actually as a player. So to do that, ever? yeah. Wait, really? 
Yeah. It's the adage of always a GM, never a player. Once you're a GM, like it's impossible to become a player. I get it. Yeah, it, Tim, it I is. Pro- I promise you, Tim, right now I'm going to GM something for you now. <laughs> I did not know you had never been a player. You should be a player so, in a real game. <laughs> so so I think I think that was why it was a little easier for me okay. than it was for Christian. Right. With this because I really didn't feel bad about any of it really, except for when he felt bad, I'm like, Oh well, I just won't just want to keep the peace. But um, you know, I, I didn't really feel like I was not able to play the game. You don't know what it's like, Tim. Let me show you. <laughs> now, the way I GM, I give a lot of freedom. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It was just, it just, it, okay. as, as being my first player. I think we'll, you can, we'll talk more about this in a Pathfinder Academy episode. I'm really interested to explore the depths of absolute honesty with your players. Uh, because I kind of think that there is some things that I think are just good to keep from your players. Um, not because you're trying to harm them, but I think it just makes it more fun experience. Um, they don't need to know everything, but anyway, I th- we'll talk about more about that in that episode. I mean, it it, it definitely comes to you know, balancing combat is difficult. Like even with just two players, uh, and at level like, fifteen, I, do, I I don't I don't constantly know how much health people have. So sometimes, like even when I'm GMing, like you know, I roll someone, they're like, I'm unconscious. I'm like, wait, what? Really? Like you? Oh, whoopsie! Like I didn't mean for this to be a tough fight. And then it just becomes a matter of like, do you? kind of change your plans to, you know, fit the theme of the fight that's this deadly, or do you just kind of, like, nerf things behind the scenes? And, you know, even in the way I normally GM, I usually, like, when that happens, I try to to make it so that my players live, right? And, uh, which is, I'm kind of scared but excited for in Season 3 to, to be to be so free with this open world that I'm, that the characters die, the characters die. After a certain point in this campaign, uh, I was like, "All right, it, we're at we're at the the point we, we've we've toppled over the precipice. Landris and Victor cannot die until the finale. Now it would just be lame uh, for the story. It's too late to introduce a new character, right? And so it's just mm-hmm. not going to happen. That uh, and I have always had that in some form or another. Uh, the story was super connected to David in season one, so I was I was very certain that he was going to to make it through the season." Um, I did the same thing with another guy named David in in uh, the preseason that happened before Trailblazers was published online, where he was so connected to the story. I'm like, I just can't kill him, and I'm very excited to have in season three to not have a character like that to let cool and interesting moments happen with people die and all that. I'm just very excited to be just run. I just want to be so far away from this. I really, this is not the way I like GMing. I'm glad I had the experience. I can learn from it, but it's not the way I plan it again. I hope though that it created only good results for the listeners. Uh, because the listener's already ready to just be told a story. They are not participating in the story. The, the players are prepared to participate in the story and to tell the story with the GM. The listeners are not, so I don't think it should affect them really either way. As a matter of fact, this way might be better because they get a sort of, well, if the storyteller's good, they get a good story, which which there's a lot of onus on me. Anytime you have a problem with the story, it's no one's fault but Caleb since he had so much to plan of it. Which meant I had to put so much planning in each episode. It was ridiculous. But I want to move on to this to something that sort of, because of this happened, right, uh, it required a great deal of buy-in from my two players. At the beginning, I sort of talked to him about how this was going to be sort of non-traditional and more uh, more strangleholdy, more railroady. But I think even with that conversation, there was a, sub, a couple of conflicts. And I think the major one that's on everyone's minds that I can really think of anyway, I don't know if it came across to the listeners, but is that Christian had a, a big problem with what happened when Baron took off his ear and made him eat it or made him take off his ear and eat it. Uh, that was railroady, of course. And that was a big problem. Why don't you describe why you had a problem with that? Well, it has to start with uh, Christian as a listener of the story, not just as a player. Christian does not like Baron whatsoever. 
Christian thinks Baron is not a good character. Mm-hmm. I don't enjoy. I don't like the fact that he is a villain that really only exists because of GM Fiat. Uh, so that was, that was my feeling on Baron the whole time, because it felt like when that scene happened, it felt like I was being punished because I had the gall to mess with plot armor oh, GMPC. Mm. Like, uh, oh, whoops, I made the mistake of, you know, making this guy angry that is integral to this plot. My bad, I guess. I didn't know mm. that that was the case. And also just the fact that it was such a very long scene sure. where both Tim and I had zero input into mm-hmm. it. I'm really glad you said that. I, I didn't really think about it from that perspective before. I I hope that you understand it wasn't a malicious punishing of you hurt my favorite character. Or, uh, but I, I certainly understand you feeling that way. That's interesting. Hmm. I'm really glad you said that. Like As you said before, intention and perception are you know yeah. important differences to make. Sure. Like it's, it's hard to shake that feeling that, whoopsie, oh, that guy in Elder Scrolls had the crown over his uh, health bar and I couldn't hurt him. Sure. Whoopsie. I pissed him off, and now he is permanently aggroed to me. Yeah. (laughs) I guess I gotta erase my save file. When we had discussed it earlier, uh, you had brought up it was the lack of choice that bothered you. You want to talk a little more about that? Yeah, because when I initially brought it up, you said, like, well, you know, you got into this situation because of choices from previous situations. And since the whole thing was kind of railroaded, it goes, like, how far back do we go to the point where we actually had a choice in any of it? Sure. Which would be... uh... You cutting off his finger was not something I had written down. Okay, Lanerus cuts off finger. <laughs> and to me, in, in, in my intention, of course, like you're saying, intention and perception, the intention was just, I thought actually was a kind of a cool story moment of, well, he's going to get his revenge. You took off his, his finger and made him look at it. He's going to, which is integral to his casting. He's going to take off your ear and make you eat it. And then during that whole season, if you go back and listen to the season, Lanerus says a lot of times, I don't want him casting spells. Yeah. I want some way to disable his spell casting and no one acknowledges him. So that was one of the things where I just kind of begrudgingly went along with, mm, okay, I guess Caleb wants him to be able to cast spells clearly because nobody's, you know, acknowledging me saying this. And that's something uh, I appreciate from my players. You guys had the wherewithal and the experience that comes in from being people who've played role-playing games for so long. Uh, you there's certain points where you're like you kind of felt that okay this is what's gonna happen and it doesn't need to go as far as it could go with me being like no it's not gonna happen you kind of felt that which was really I think integral for this kind of storytelling for this season and there's another thing I want I really wanted to say how much I appreciate it. I mean get back to this sort of argument this not argument this 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 talk about <laughs> I'm right Caleb uh, about this, <laughs> this, this is an argument but I really did appreciate that there were some experience moments where it's like. Rules is written, Lang's about to die, but you can just inject him with hypostemonies back to life. But you guys recognize that that's not the way this sort of direction was going. He was kind of going to die, so let's just talk. Because the the real, if you really want to get railroady about it, if we're doing rules lawyering, it's just that, okay, well, Jimmy Lang is dead because if he has, if he's even alive for a second, they can heal him. Which then you lose mm-hmm. the chance to have a, uh, an entertaining um, closing conversation with a dying person. And so you really yeah. gain nothing at all. You've gained nothing for trying to abuse the rules. You literally lose something. You lose the conversation. But you guys are good enough players and previously GMs, or I guess not GMs, you're not GMs not now, uh, to understand that you didn't want to lose that conversation. So you still have the conversation without trying to push the, I heal them. It happened a couple times, and I really, really appreciated that from you guys. It's the same thing with before combat. There's sometimes before combat where you could be like, I just attack him. But you recognize that doing so, you, you're going to get no advantages. All you're going to do is not have a conversation that would be cool to the story. You mentioned this to us before. It actually got me thinking of implementing something. Um, have you guys ever heard of the game Dread? I've heard of it, know nothing about it. 
No, yeah, it's I don't a it's anything. a it's a horror uh, tabletop RPG with very little mechanics. The only mechanic is there's a Jenga tower, and whenever you t- uh, do an action that could fail or result in your injury, you take a block out of the Jenga tower. Once the Jenga tower falls and you're the one trying to take one off, your character dies. Hmm. They actually have a mechanic in the game called Marked for Death, where if like you just accidentally slip and knock it over, and it's like a really not climactic point for someone to die they are marked for death meaning that the basically the gm can decide a more appropriate moment for when they die hmm. but the the player can't really fight it um it works obviously better for something horror and one shot based but I've, I've been contemplating putting that into pathfinder like if they're going through say a dungeon and they get quote-unquote killed by one of the like uh earlier mookish mo- uh, monsters sure. Um, mark them for death so when they come to a more important battle like the the gm can set the tone and say like the the powerful person just like rips this guy apart or just kills him sure. in one hit interesting so that they still get to play up to that point and get like a respectable death mm-hmm. or just do what we did and you know give them last words like they've hit the threshold where they die but just like right. you know understand you guys can't heal them mm-hmm. i think this was beyond that it was more important to me that when you let people talk, who you could have just encountered, it's like mm-hmm. fine. But you you let people have talk. the The whole last conversation with Baron and Hope, trying to f- vying for whether or not Hope was going to help Baron or you in the battle. Um, you talked instead of just fighting. I appreciated that. There's a bunch of times when that happened. I just really appreciate you guys. I thought that was very skilled of you. But yeah, back to the thing. Uh, um, you being upset by that um, that circumstance with Baron affected me. I thought about it pretty much the rest of the season because. I never want, as much as I'm making decisions that are going to benefit the listeners over the players, I'm still trying, I think I can have both ends in almost all cases. And so it really hurt it hurt me that I that I had bothered you that much. And that's not what I wanted to do. So I thought about how did it happen? How do I stop it from happening in the future? And what, what at that time you voiced that the choice was really the problem. And, and I had little to fix that because that was the campaign. That is what I asked you guys to buy into. It was never going to change. Um, and so I was like, how do I how do I fix this? And, and one of the things, and it was especially coming up with the finale, how I knew the finale was going to go, how you were going to essentially, quote, unquote, lose in the finale. And and in my thought, it was it was such a hard decision to make or, 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 or problem to solve. And I thought about when people write books, because I, I was sort of equating this more to that than the collaborative storytelling that D&D or Pathfinder tabletop RPGs usually is. It was like in the book, when... when I'm going to use Star Wars, for example, since everyone's seen Star Wars. You'd be ridiculous if you hadn't seen Star Wars. Um, <laughs> Luke destroys the Death Star, right? There's Spoiler. You, yeah. you f- <laughs> Sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> you feel like, don't worry, he does it again. People destroy like nine different Death Stars in the series. You feel like Luke could or could not do it. He has a chance to fail, right? But he never uh-huh. is going to. The author has decided that he is not going to fail, that he is going to succeed. Does that remove the, the choice, what was going to happen? That... It, it made me feel like I feel better. It made me feel better and maybe had a different perspective when I sort of looked at it as a book or as a movie or something where things are set. You want your listeners to believe that there is the chance for failure, that there is the chance that things are going to go one way or the other, even though you as an author or story designer have decided it was going to go one way or the other. And the, the thing with Baron was actually really different as well because it wasn't the, there was a cutscene portion of that that was very, very short. It was the Hellhounds coming in just because I didn't want to do a combat encounter, whatever. Hellhounds come in, he wins, he incapacitates you. And then beyond that, it was in-game he used he used a uh, a spell. I forget the spell. It's either like Raider, Dominate Person, Be- or Geese or something. Whatever it was to, to paralyze you and to get you to do what he says, right? And from then on, uh, as much as it feels like a cutscene, it's just in-game mechanics, essentially. Maybe a little bit tri- changed around. And so like, I wonder... 
this is this is gonna be dangerous to say. Um, you might edit this out after Christian and I kill each other for being mad at each other. Um, <laughs> I felt like maybe this is something that is a sort of pet peeve of Christian. Maybe he, as a player himself, really can't stand a when control's taken away and b his decisions don't matter. And when that converges, it's really something that sort of hits a button for him. Do you think maybe that's true? Um, I mean, definitely. Like I said, I play the entire reason. I play, mm-hmm. um, you know, tabletop RPGs is for choices of some kind. I mean, obviously character development. I like, like the acting mm-hmm. portion of it, um, developing a character, uh, but choices are the most important thing. And like I said, I think it was just a, a the perfect storm combination of choice taken away, decisions not mattering, because I would have made very different decisions sure. um, that would have not led to that. Um, not having any ownership of the scene, like the scene, right. I think I mentioned this to you before, like I couldn't do literally anything. Like I couldn't wriggle. I couldn't like muffledly scream or anything. Um, I actually had zero ownership of anything in the scene. And so I, I think it was just like the perfect storm combination of all those above. Well, I learned from it and I hope that there was no point after that where a similar thing happened to you as much as I did continue to try to railroad. Uh, was I at least successful at not upsetting you uh, or or bothering you in that way again? Um, <laughs> maybe not <laughs> as me, severely. Let me, I, let me take out my list of times that Caleb beat me off. Goes nine feet across the room. <laughs> um, not not real, not as much. Definitely not. I think the only other point that was big was the the next encounter with Baron. Right when Baron came back yes. in, and you just didn't want to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And do all that, and I, which I think that that was just a miscommunication. No, I, I, it's fine, uh, and I kind of had to carry that. And I was like, oh, I don't even know what to do here because I knew Christian was upset and everything. I'm like, oh no, what are we what are we gonna do right. here? Well, uh, I, I hopefully that through editing and, and such, uh, um, ooh, I'm breaking I'm breaking the 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 mystery. That's a scene that we are re-recording uh, to make a more satisfying thing for the listeners, which is you know, boy, man. I, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I love GMing in person with a mat uh, far better than creating a product just because, uh, A, it's way less work. But B, when mistakes happen, I go, <laughs> uh, whatever. And we just kind of move on. Here I'm like, well, I have to fix it because there's a moment that listeners are just going to be in the internet forever. We need to make this the best it can be. In in regular GM, regular, regular GMing, if something goes wrong, you're like, oh, well, this encounter wasn't as cool as I wanted it to be. We move on. I'll do better in the future. No harm, no foul. You don't get that luxury when you're making a podcast. The part that, um, I guess the only part that I felt really uncomfortable with was when I had to read a part, and I'm not the strongest reader, and I'm like, oh, I'm not doing this well. And it it was some words I wouldn't use either. Sure. And so it was, that was the the part that was like, oh, I'm just going to have to record this again sometime. (laughs) And and, because I'm not happy with how I did that. You know, that's the, the the one thing where I, I literally the last like, you know, three, maybe the two episodes, last three or four recording sessions, because we had to split them up a little bit, uh, was I literally told my players, all right, we're, you're going to be actors in certain places. And the one where they literally had a script, which to my credit is the only time you had a script, was yes. the um, courtroom scene, which did you guys, did you guys like that moment at all? How did that work out for you? It, well, besides having to read something that I'm not yeah, comfortable it, it, doing. Ignore, I don't, yeah. I'm not asking <laughs> yes, about I, your, your feelings about... Uh, Performing the scene, uh, how did you like the end result scene? It was good. No, I didn't have any problems with that at all. It made perfect sense to, you know, expedite the scene that way, condense it, rather than have us literally hash out everything we'd ever done up to that point. Right. And it was one of the few times I could actually fit it in in universe, where it was like, when you, when you are going to go to court, if you have a good lawyer, they will practice with you your responses to their questions. Right. So that's right. the result of you practicing with Dahlia, your responses. 
And it's just like, it's not like the script is like, yeah, I had to read it word for word. I did some improvision on there just based on like the way Landris talks. Sure. Let's, let's talk about something positive. I feel like I'm just yeah, nagging yeah, on no, you. It's, I, did no, like, it's great. I, I, like, I did like the campaign. I don't, I don't want the, build, the listeners to think that I've been in here like, mm, I'm Caleb. So I want you guys to leave with this knowing that Christian and Tim both hated it. Yeah, let's go to that courtroom scene where Dahlia dies. Um, <laughs> no, this is a part where we were given a little bit more freedom to act, even though the outcome was still the same as Dahlia's death. Mm-hmm. But we were able to to act and and so Landris took shots as well and then uh victor was able to actually end up killing the guy you know right after it mm-hmm. and and so that was a part that we were able to, to do something even through the the railroad right and be a part of it i always enjoyed the high emotional moments like that or the last few moments with vic and uh hope and landris and kentaro um and y- you know i actually really like you had like this, some of these cool moments where you would put these medallions. These medallions went through this fun like arc, and you like put them in places where they were really sort of meaningful. Anubis, the god of death and of burial, gets put in the hand of the woman who's not going to get a burial. Right. The, the and then the Quetzalcoatl one goes into the machine that was given life by Quetzalcoatl. I thought that was really cool. Those were cool moments you did. And it's really just because I was like, oh, I have these on my character sheet. I need to do something with them. <laughs> <laughs> What did you guys think about the books that you got from the archives? I love those. I loved them. Why did it kept trying to kill Landris? <laughs> oh, yeah. You want to hear it? A mystery we never solved. Yeah, yes. I, I do want to know. I have an in-fiction reason and then a GM Fiat reason. The GM Fiat reason was I just wanted, um, every time like Landris had tried it, I had already gotten out what I wanted to say. And I was just like, uh. <laughs> uh, the in The in-fiction reason was essentially every other time it's used. It tries to bring somebody in to experience it. And if you if you listen back, it works out that way. It goes like, Landris, Victor releases it, then hand to Landris, and it goes bad. Then Victor uses it next, and Landris tries it again every other time. Oh. Huh. Huh. I thought it was like, Christian talks enough. We're going to get Vic this talking, <laughs> not Christian. Vic was the Sergio this season where when I was listening back to editing, I'm like, we cut off Tim so many times. What are we doing? <laughs> I don't know. I want to talk, but you just don't let me. <laughs> Uh, You're timid. I, I am a cool, well, I am a quiet person, but I do try. And but when I tried, it was like, nope, they're just overpowering me. I'm just gonna sit back. It's because I'm a southerner and you are are uh, not. And what? Say, what it we're is. from New Jersey. I get it. Yeah, you get your pump, your gas pump for you. I don't. I've always had to pump my own gas. Yeah, go pump your own gas. Living the life of luxury. <laughs> when I whenever I have to go out of state and I have to pump my own gas, I like stop for like a solid minute and just stare at it and like, what's the right order? <laughs> one one time I'm gonna get it wrong and I'm gonna look dumb. I got my wife this bumper sticker for her birthday. It says Jersey girls don't pump their own gas, and she has not let me live it down because ever since we've been in Missouri, it's been almost a year. She's filled the gas literally once in this entire time we've been here. Uh, what do you guys? I want, I want to hear your thoughts on the setting. The setting was cyberpunk, something I've never run before, though I'm very interested in. How'd you guys like the setting? Uh, it took some for me to get used to because I'm just so used to the high fantasy, the the token type area yeah. era, you know, and stuff. So I um, just took me a while to get get into it. Uh, and there were some things I, I was just a little confused by every now and then because it's like, well, well, how is this working? Oh, okay, but but sure. I, I see now. Oh, there were some times when I didn't know. I'm just like, eh, it just works. Wait, the cyber furry setting? I love the cyber furry <laughs> setting. Are you kidding me? 
But no, I, I really like um, cyberpunk settings. Um, it's actually, I've been branching most of my GMing ideas more into technological-based stuff recently. Um, I really like the setting. Uh, I liked its representation. I, I just, I thought it was a really cool setting, a uh, really interesting idea and take on cyberpunk. It was a little, I don't want to say tarnished, but it was just like a little downgraded because we didn't have the freedom really to explore it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like we didn't, we only saw the pieces of setting that we were brought to essentially because we were stuck in the trip, the first part of the season, we were stuck in AAA yeah. Fortress, yada, yada, yada. Stuck on a boat and then stuck back in the city and, and it was like- Bombs in our heads. What was cool is when we got to visit Sarah's parents' um, minds and stuff because that was something different. <laughs> yeah, I-, I felt that too pretty strongly. Um you know, cyberpunk is, um, in my opinion, very difficult to do in a tabletop role-playing game because I think cyberpunk's one of the huge parts of it is how visual it is. I think it's a very yes. visual uh, uh, genre, and I think to do cyberpunk well, which I will, I will say, I've made the decision I did not do cyberpunk well, is you need to have an absolute incredible amount of of post editing. To create ambiance, to add sound effects, different uh, music and things, to really convey that cyberpunk feel, almost to the audio drama extent. And I edited this season more than season one, more than I've ever edited before. I learned a lot of new techniques and employed them, and still I couldn't do it because it, it just would have taken so long. I really felt that I didn't do cyberpunk justice. And and not only are these visuals so important, but as a GM, one of the the most important things you need to know how to do is to just to describe things well. And I've never been good at that, which probably makes me a bad GM. I try my best and I try to do better each time. But I, I would have to be an expert that to describe things the way that cyberpunk, that would do cyberpunk justice. When I'm not putting you down, you're putting you down, Caleb. Can't win. <laughs> oh, no one can put me down as bad as I can. Trust me. <laughs> I mean, I didn't feel that way. I thought, you know, the descriptions and such were apropos for the setting. I never like was described something and been like, I don't get it or that's not cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just being in that setting, if you describe something like, I'm going to fill in the rest of it if you don't do a perfect job and make an assumption. Sure. And I, I don't think it was ever the case that our assumptions were conflicting in what you were intending. There were times when I read, uh, Christian likes to do a journal after each, well, some time in between sessions. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and sometimes when I was reading those descriptions, I'm like, he described that. How did you get that from what I described? And you were like, well, my mind just raced with it. But you know, you, you talk about not being able to go to these different places. I packed way too much into one story um the aaa could have been its own season psycho squad the same thing um and you know i kind of would like in the future maybe to return to like a, a, a do a psycho squad thing maybe i'll run um shadow run and do a season with a sort of psycho squad sort of idea i have a lot of ideas of that maybe like a sort of departed thing or maybe even star starfinder now that that's out do a do a, do a landris prequel landris bounty hunter drug addict prequel no, is never <laughs> happening again um <laughs> but that that was he, definitely he lives on in our hearts <laughs> not even there it would be cool to, to like <laughs> let people explore the city the whole time i felt that like man i just wanted to let them explore it but i i it couldn't a because there's like such this everything was on rails and i had to get to the next thing unless we wanted us to be 50 million episodes and b because i was scared if we went to a place i felt like there'd be a point where i could just i'd stop coming up with things and everything would seem the same or wouldn't be very good but i wanted that i sort of wanted that to to and i want to do that maybe later to really have uh, to explore the cyberpunk setting which i think is important about cyberpunk but of course we still use the rules per pathfinder we used uh, an add-on a, a module i think uh, that helped us out but then just a few things were skinned that i think we mostly didn't use the magic was a big one using crystals but and then you got a chance to sort of see 
a moment of going back into the high fantasy when we went into Hope's Memories, which was the only time I remember telling you guys ahead of time, all right, we're going to do a see, there's going to be a whole session where you're pretty much at story time with Caleb. You get to enjoy asking a question once in a while. Uh, how did that feel? That, that one wasn't bad. It was, it was a story time, but it, it was because I guess nothing was really happening to us. It didn't feel like, mm-hmm. oh, oh no, uh, we're, how are we going to, you know, get through this or what those types of things. We're just watching someone's memories. So it wasn't, it wasn't bad for me. It was just, you know, sit back and, and listen to. And it was cool for me because I started out as a fan of this podcast. And so I came in knowing season one because I listened to all of that. And this kind of connected dots for me. And, and that was good. I really enjoyed just sitting back and listening to that. It was meant to be sort of a break from not only the way we were playing, but from the, the setting as well. Yeah. Actually, that, that I was going to say that it, did, it felt kind of like a break. Um, I, I like how we're like, you're asking about stuff. We're like, that didn't make me angry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's like our uh, standard. But no, that I, I, don't I didn't know feel like if it you would... liked it. I just need to know if you didn't not like it. No, like <laughs> I thought that was perfectly fine. Landris wasn't very interested into it. Christian was certainly listening. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all the descriptions went really well. I think it was, I thought it was well done. I didn't have a problem with that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it was accomplished when, and it happened like halfway through the memories. Vic said, She's just a normal girl. Have you ever had to hide your tail? And I was like, Psh, I don't even need to do the rest of this. You got it. Because <laughs> I, I, I was so afraid that, because it would be very weird and gross to, to GM fight this one, that you were going to kill her because of how angry you were that she abandoned you. That's why VM was like, Don't do it. And you got a uh, mess around with it. It was like, You're going to have a chance to kill somebody. Don't do it. I'm glad that <laughs> those tools worked and you didn't just like, let's just, we'll kill her. Well, I mean, what Lanners had said to Victor was that like, promise me that like, we'll get to Baron and we will use hope if we have to. Mm-hmm. Like, she's not an innocent in this. I don't think Lan- Lanners wasn't like, I'm going to strangle hope. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he'd been be- deceived by Baron before as well. But Lanners, not Christian. <laughs> but uh, Lanners had been like deceived or tricked or like bad things happened to him because of Baron before. Like he understands what she's gone through. To me, Hope was never really ever trying to, to hurt you guys. She It was a, a moment of, we need to leave. He didn't tell her, now when we leave, they're not going to have anyone to help back them up and they're going to get arrested and most of them killed. Like, she didn't know any of that was going to happen. Oh, which kind of, it was that was another one of those points where, well, why do we even have to, to combat SWAT when you know that we're going to lose? And, and that's how I sort of, like, when I look through the lens of, it's the author. You know, they have the chance in the, in the, in the fiction, in the story, even though the author has it where they're going to lose the battle and get arrested. I do say, you know, Hannibal to me was far more interesting because of you guys. I liked your effect and were your interactions with Hannibal. I thought Hannibal was a great character. Hannibal was a, a good character. Like he, and it was a big point that like he had this obvious aesthetic strangeness to being a robot person, but like that wasn't really addressed. Like he was still just a person like he, he, he had a personality strong enough that, like, that wasn't just, like, a gimmick he was relying on. He still felt like a really real character. Mm-hmm. And, like, we never really even paid attention to the fact that he had a robot head. Right. I mean, at first, Vic was like, you know, how, how does all that work? In yes. But, <laughs> but, yeah. Now, Landris had great respect for him because he, like, charged the front line of Locke's office with them. Mm-hmm. And almost died doing it. Kind of did die in, in Landris's eyes. Oh, let me, let me voice. All right. Let's my turn. My turn to be angry about something. 
There were so many things that I gave you guys that I was like, why are they never using these things? Or when they got them, they're like, well, this was lame. Well, it could have been good. You just made different decisions. <laughs> Freaking, when you had that battle and, and Hannibal had gave you like, uh, I have a vertebrae with rocket launchers and machine guns. You never used it except for like at the end during a cutscene sort of thing out of combat. There was, you almost never use unless I reminded you Alarax thing. There's a billion things and I hated it and I wanted to murder you all. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so that one, the reason we, I didn't use it in that battle in particular is that I thought we would need to take down the, uh, what's it called? The transpond, whatever was transforming everyone. Oh, yes. The, I the thought we were going to need it to take, and I think that had a force field around it or something. Like there was a reason we couldn't immediately do it. And I was saving it for that. But then by the time the combat was over, it's like, wasn't important. But you have to understand, kid, that as we get higher level... Mm-hmm. Anytime I'm not making a full round action, that's gotta be worth. I like the the opportunity cost of that mm-hmm. is huge. It's gigantic. There's a huge difference between like when Lander started out, level seven had two attacks. Mm-hmm. Like he used entangling shot all the time. It was a great tool. But as I leveled up and could make five six attacks in one round, well, the opportunity cost of attacking one time versus attacking six times was gigantic. Mm-hmm. I could literally take someone out of the fight mm-hmm. before they ever affected us. Right. So you asked me before, and I'm going to bring this up. You said, "Was there any other time you made me angry?" And I will say this: I was super super disappointed Uh-oh. by the damn box. Ah, get, well, get over it. it. If you if you are saying that you want to be you want to have this um. Like, you want to be forward with us and honest with us and tell us everything? Why did you just say, Christian, this box is going to give you powers that are entirely useless for this battle. Don't use it. I did not feel that they were useless. I feel you made decisions. They were 100% useless. I feel that you made decisions that made that so that they would not become useful. And I think that you could have made other decisions to make them useful. Ha! It gave me a mind-affecting effect, which robots aren't affected to mind-affecting. It gave me a touch attack that did almost no damage compared to my actual attacks, and I don't get melee anyway because I die. And it gave me some mediocre skill bonuses. I was very satisfied with some mine. I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, and and I, I'm I'm comparing it yeah, to Victor's. Where what a Victor- useless thing mischances. Victor got freaking one-time wave clear. <laughs> I got useless buffs. And don't say the don't even bring up the AC, Caleb, because it literally if everything hits touch AC and we're level fifteen, that does not matter. I literally got hit Wasn't every time anyone pointed like a gun at me. Mischance anything against you? But that, but that's that's as long as I was super disappointed. Tim used his, and it was like, I'm a jealous. I'm jealous. I'm being petty. And Tim was like, Hey, I owe to help us. It was like, boom, boom, boom. And I was like, Wow, I got the first round of combat. Things are looking pretty dire. Let me open this box. <laughs> I c- congratulations. You just wasted your turn. Oh no. <laughs> oh well. I don't feel too bad about that one, especially because with unknown things, it's always a gamble when you use something you don't know. What? Wait, what other things did you give us that we didn't use? Oh, the elixirs. They, elixirs. They, they were, but they Half were bad. The, the one we items. Used- when? When did? How? How often did Victor use the ring of alien geometries? That's portal from Those the game. Hard portal. To use. You can portal. <laughs> the one time you tried to use it, you wouldn't let him because the robots rush through the door. Sash, the trickster. All, all these things were minimally used. It's fine. I use the sash. I use the sash all the time. What are you talking about? Reason, and the trickster reason, Christian's not gonna be a player in season three. <laughs> I use because I use the sash and, it's and the trick because he wouldn't use the items I gave him and complained about the one I did. <laughs> Remember that time Vic drank a potion and just made us all insane and gave him a mediocre armor bonus? Or when I used the mace that was given to me and it made me evil? That was fun and interesting and led to one of my favorite moments when you would talk to a psychiatrist. <laughs> the bag that I, I used and it just ate all my stuff. Well, yeah, you should have learned yeah. your lesson that anything you got from the archives was bad. 
that was my favorite was that like the archives I was like how long till they figure out oh pretty much everything is bad like everything here has a trade I should say that differently everything had a trade off they all had good things happen with them but they all had it for a cost it was up to you to determine whether or not the cost was worth it minus a few things like the some of the plain old magic items like the the rod of that should not be the uh, the ring the geometries the boots you got all pretty much were straightforward you even don't like the items you gave us because you put them in hey, a bag and they got the power will work out for you in the final battle it doesn't I tried to use it there was never a point where like I had to track mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. yeah what was its level 15 bonus there that scaling magic item you expect me to remember that exactly. I was level fif- <laughs> I was level 15 for like five minutes. I think you mean five sessions. Speaking of which, you know, that's another thing. Uh, we we went to level fifteen. You know, there's some there's some difficulties when you're not using a mat at running encounter at level fifteen. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Especially when like I had the ability that allowed me to move outside my turn, which caused confusion. Mm. Not this last battle, but the battle before that was really rough, keeping track of everything. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a difficult thing. And in, in season one, I did a couple times where I did do a mat. And I regretted it because it just did not convey well at all to the listeners. I had to summarize. I, I don't know because we haven't ed- released this episode yet, but I don't know how I even handled the chess in this one. I tried to get us to do it, and we sort of didn't do it. It didn't work out well. Uh, so I don't know. I probably just summarized, but I guess well, the listeners will know. Uh, but yeah, I really – it was just – it's it's not worth it when you're doing a podcast to do anything outside the imagination sphere. Oh my god, Caleb, the level 14 ability Legacy Arrow is a standard action. I can get an additional 2d6 plus 2 damage. Hmm. Or I can take a full round action and do over 100 oh, damage, Caleb. All right, all right. That was the also another part that frustrated me. is Because I kept on having to run around and I couldn't get full round actions on anything. It was like, oh, I can get a hit here and a hit there. Which doesn't do a whole lot of damage. But... I shouldn't have started this, this, this Q&A. With, you know, how did you feel about this, good or bad? Because now everything is now in the frame of, you know what else I didn't like? <laughs> Putting a kibosh to that. From now on, the rest of these conversations aren't to determine whether or not you liked it or were not upset with it. Let's just talk about feelings now. Let's talk about things that happen. Uh, did you, were you guys confused at the end there? Uh, do you guys, do you think you have a good grasp on how the ring worked? Yes. It was a, basically a genie wish and granted her wish in the worst way possible. Oh, see, that's not what I wanted to convey, Dag. That's definitely how it feels. Oh, man. Like, instead of, instead of your world getting never, instead of that never happening, getting destroyed by clockwork, it's going to get destroyed by elves and machines. Yep. Yeah. Oh, darn. The ring wasn't, isn't malicious. It was just a gigantic wish, and so it just tried to, to do it. It didn't. But it, I mean, although it wasn't attempted to be malicious, it ended up being a, mal- a malicious result. Sure. And, but do you get the sort of like the one thing it did differently? Like it didn't do a, it didn't do a lot where it like it, it gave Baron extra strength. It made Baphomet do all these extra things. It did one, pretty much one thing. You know what that one thing was? It was del- deliver hope. And she said about the motion, she let Baron go. If Baron had died there, he wouldn't have been at the end to destroy the detonator and just slow you guys down. That's essentially the, the difference it made, which was sort of kind of important to me. When we were playing through, I really enjoyed Hope as a character, really a lot. And I wanted, part of me wanted to have her in through the whole season, but it really wasn't where I think things were going. I think it would have taken too much away from other things that wanted to have happened, especially focusing on Landris and Victor and, and sort of their story and what their story ended up being. So she had to be, and on purposely was designed to be sort of incidental to Landris and Victor's story. Her there or not changed sort of very little about them. Imagine if Hope had never come, 
all of these things still would have taken place aside from obviously the conclusion. You still would have been put into Psycho Squad. All those things still would have happened. The the people, the conspirators that were against you still would have done all those things and given you all that motivation to stop them. All that still would have happened. And that was very important to me to make Hope incidental as much as I would have enjoyed her being throughout the whole series. Uh, her being taken away was was meant to, to, to sort of convey that and to give you guys more of the spotlight. But it's not supposed to change the course of what Victor and Lannis were going to do with their lives. Well, <laughs> Lannis would have killed Baron. Right. Yeah. That's like that's the that's the thing though. All all this other stuff that happened still would have happened. I don't know if maybe Dahlia would have lived. Well, technically not. Then, huh? Whole lower Kadesh. Uh, yeah. Technically, technically yeah, correct, not. Correct, correct. <laughs> ha, ha, what, what was the reality Ioma Day was talking about where Sarah lived? Well, Ioma Day uh, was still getting her power, so she couldn't exactly predict the future, and she knew the possible futures were either everyone lower Kadesh can die, so Vic maybe would be down there, so he would have died too. If if Vic was to live and she was to die, was what ended up happening. But he's, she said that it's either that or Sarah will live and you will die. She did. She did yes, say that. Yes, if, if, if you had detonated and exploded Upper Kadesh's platform, then he didn't let it teleport, Lower Kadesh would have lived. But Victor would have died in the self-detonation. Uh, got it. There was no scenario she foresaw where they could both live. And that was another thing that was sort of the sort of like incidental part of the story was like these gods and their reaction as you slowly uncovered their, their machinations. This was very much a part of... My, my Christianity influence as in, in the Bible, it speaks about things being possessed uh, by demons, but it's always sort of like confusing, like how much is man responsible for his own actions and all that stuff. And so with this possession, I really didn't want it to be like with Dahlia, that Iomade was walking around just in a Dahlia suit, right? That the possession was to be far more complicated and more difficult to understand. Solzhenitsyn was Solzhenitsyn, even though Zonkuthon possessed him. Kyle Katan was Kyle Katan, even though Baphomet possessed him. And just like Dahlia, it was still Dahlia, even though this goddess had possessed her. What's interesting um, is about... It was once we got back from the archives that I made a decision that Vic was going to start looking into a, you know, a god, worshipping a god of some sort. And then the gods ended up playing a, a very big part. And that was just kind of a happy accident. I wasn't something I had planned on before. Hmm. I was just like, he's searching for something... And so then when Ayamade came in, it was like, oh, yeah, that, that's great. Because he wanted to worship Anubis and Quetzalcoatl, yeah. but they were leading in the wrong way. And so when Ayamade came in, it just really worked out. That was pretty pretty interesting. There was a version of this story where Comet was going to be alluring to Victor. Because I was sort of sensing that from his character. Mm-hmm. It just worked out better with Ayamade and all that stuff. But there was a version where, like, that was sort of the pull that a lot of people in Kadesh had who, who, who did join Comet. And I thought it, it would be appealing, especially when you got in there. Some things that got left on the cutting room floor that we'll probably talk about more in the second Q&A um, was, was some stuff with Alarak and Comet, uh, just because I didn't want this. I wanted this season to end when it did. And more sort of understanding them as not just being like the maniacal, crazy people that they are. You could, you could at least understand why somebody would at least join Comet, if even that maybe somehow magically they were changed by Mojo the influence of Rising. Yeah, Mojo Rising. Uh, that you could see, they got the best hats. You could see while, why somebody would join, would want, in this city that has denied purpose to everyone, where you're just another nameless face, where you can find somebody who seems to care about you. And, you know, it was on purpose, very designed like a church. I remember, like, sitting on Sunday, listening to this whole thing. And once in a while, I kind of just, I wonder, like, you know, because I, I try to put myself in the place of friends I invite to church, like, how do they feel? Like, this must feel very culty. They're singing these weird songs. This must be kind of weird. So I kind of wanted to... to Making a net, make that sort of an analogous here in in the world with Comet. Like it's very very churchy. They meet together, you know, at certain times. They worship a god. They do things in his name. 
I, I tried to make it less sort of like stereotypical, like, oh, I am the, what do you call it? The cleric of Ioma Day. Come and I will heal you for four coin, right? I tried to make it a little more real by modeling off of something in the real world. But why was it run by a DBZ character? Because <laughs> I love Radis's look. <laughs> something else like a cut sort of at the very end, not cut, but it was like a thing like, oh, I realized too late how cool it would be, was a romance between Jimmy Lang and Hope. There was like no two characters in this entire season I more wanted to get together after I had the idea. But it was way too late for it. And there's no <laughs> way I can like do any sort of story ever because Jimmy Lang's dead. There's just like there's no way to make that cool. They, I think a romance between the two of them would have been really cool. And now she's with Victor and Victor's going to be lonely. And she, and it's already canon. She kind of looks like Sarah. Kind of looks like Sarah. So yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> Jimmy Lang was one of my favorite characters. I love Jimmy Lang. Really? Yeah. I mean, just the fact that like... He, the fact that he's recurring and not constantly there, like, every time he recurred, I was like, oh, crap, it's Jimmy Lang. Like, <laughs> it's that guy and his dumb accent. I thought he was a really cool character. Not saying that, not saying he did the accent poorly, not at all. I'm just saying he's he sad. Well, listeners <laughs> just actually never get to hear my accent. Jimmy Lang is voiced by Danny from Tales from the Lich this season. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. He's based off of a character in one of the series from Tales from the Lich. I asked Danny if you wouldn't mind using him and if you wouldn't mind voicing him. And they said yes to all. Huh. Yep, Jimmy Lang. Interesting. Thanks, Danny. Even his gun is sort of based off of what he his gun and when they run their campaign. Yep, I like Jimmy Lang as well. I thought he was. So you're saying my, my favorite character in the campaign is one you didn't come up Correct. with? Correct. <laughs> his character uh, sheet's still on my computer. Hey, listen, I at least I, I wrote all his lines uh, and did everything he could do. I just had gonna gave those lines later to Danny. Yeah, I like Jimmy Lang too because he had sort of like this. He had kind of like this like his own arc that happened in the background, right? It was another one. Of those, yes. It's one of the ways I think I, I – one of the tools I use to create a living world is that people exist outside of when my players interact with them. So when they come against – when they come to them again, things could have changed or things happened to them. So like he kept getting promoted. Then he was handling – he got assigned to the conspiracy stuff that you would find. Hannibal gave it all to him. So um, I, I just – I told you of, of some things I ended up changing. Was there anything about Landris that you ended up changing like through the, the game? Um – Landers, like, reading back at the journals I wrote, Landers is kind of like a broken record of the same things repeating, which is kind of the point. Um, I think the only thing that I ended up being not a point was um, he used to do drugs a lot. <laughs> that just seems a to lot. be the, the theme. <laughs> he, 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 basically, he basically used to be a drug addict, but um, that kind of got played down and that he was basically sober the whole time here, except for the one time he drank uh, heavily when Baron got released. And I, it was just it was just something I made a decision of in that, like, I don't want to tell that story. I don't want to tell the recovering, you know, relapsing addict story. And also just the tone of the campaign in general. Like, I didn't think it was a theme that fit in well. You know what? I just realized I never really got answers of how uh, the accident happened for Victor. Interesting. Huh? Because there was, you know, the, the original accident that took his arm. Oh, you didn't get... Uh, you, I gave you a little enough of an answer that you, you realized it wasn't right, your fault. Right, but not, not a full, full yeah. thing. Well, I can I can essentially tell you what it is. Okay. It's 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 the, the the what is so important about cyberpunk. What you'll find in things like Shadowrun, where the corporations run the world. It's it's that sort of thing where like the corporation was not about to admit something was their fault and take all that damages, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's all it was. There was no bigger conspiracy behind it. Okay. And and when you got your police report, it, it mentioned that you. They had an accident and it wasn't your fault. And I remember you going like, what? This wasn't my fault? What? I lived my whole mm-hmm. thing. It was my fault. And that's why I had to pay for it. No, it's just a corporate douchebag being a corporate douchebag. 
Oh, those douchebags. Did you have any um, alternate characters planned for if uh, Victor died? I had so many planned. I did not <laughs> really? think... <laughs> I did not think Victor was going to last the whole time. And, like, I was just kept going, oh, wow, he's really lasting a lot longer than... He's even than what apart. I apart. Yeah, but I had uh, a lot. I had a gunslinger planned and, and um, some other things like that. So it was just interesting. I even had, before we even started the game, I had them all planned out. And uh, so the next one probably would have been a gunslinger. Hmm. Um, what kind of, like, walk of life were they from? Oh, I had to bring that up. It's been so long <laughs> ago, because it didn't happen. No, it's just... You know what What it was, too, going to be? It was going to be a Gripply gunslinger. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I know. What about you, Landers? Uh, Christian? I'm so used to calling you Landers. <laughs> um, I did have one character planned. Um... It was going to be a, uh, what was the lizard option? We had like a, what was it, lizard folk? A uh, reptoid, I think. A reptoid was an option. Or maybe it was kobold. Um, it was, it's going to be like one of the top bodybuilder power lifters of Kadesh. What was an elf and like knew, uh, knew a little bit of the army stuff, but was like, wanted to get swole as heck. And was like, well, elves can only get so swole. I'm going to go turn into an animal and I'm, I know I'm going to turn into something stronger and turn into a lizard and just like the strongest bodybuilder type guy. But we already had Kintaro. Mm, well, <laughs> would you have even let me have a character that was a full-blooded elf at some point? Yeah. And lived in Upper Kadesh? Uh, yeah, as long as he had a reason to be down and lower now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he went and got swole, <laughs> and his family disowned him <laughs> for not joining the army. So what did you guys, how did you guys feel about sort of the um, the horror elements, and specifically the uh, the, the, the the sort of Slenderman through line, as well as uh, the corruptions you guys both acquired? In terms of horror, I think it was more creepy and gross than scary, which is, it's always a very difficult line to walk with that. I think a horror is really hard to do, especially in a campaign like this. Mm-hmm. And I think especially um, Pathfinder's system. Yes, definitely. Um, but I, th- I think it was overall done well. The only thing I didn't like was the rules as written sanity is really stupid, and Victor would get an insanity literally any time he took sanity damage because he didn't have a positive mental score. Yep. I well, absolutely despise that. I, I put us in the that. wrong path of the being show. Let's get away from, let's point out the few things I didn't like. Let's talk about some of the things that maybe you didn't like. Well, let's see. What else I didn't like? <laughs> I, like I said, I, I think I've talked about this before and that I think it's really cool. Like, that you were able to squeeze that in, make it fit into the campaign so well. To have like a dungeon like that, a quote unquote dungeon. I, I think it was a very elegant to uh, way to do that. And I thought that was really cool. It was something I definitely didn't see coming. Oh. Like definitely kept my character on edge because just by the fact that they're underwater, like I was constantly afraid that like one of like the whole thing just collapses. <laughs> like we have to have a rush to the exit sort of scenario. Yeah. Well, you did have a rush to the exit scenario. Just instead of water, it was a massive eldritch horror. The Shagoth. Right. The corruptions were good. Uh, the Promethean one that Victor has is has some some things that really help him out. He's becoming more machine than man. He's more machine than man now. You'd understand that reference if you'd seen Star Wars, Christian. Yeah. I'm sure it would mean much less and not be as interesting. Oh no. <laughs> I'm glad you like because when I was designing the dungeon, like uh, that the, the beginnings of that design happened before we even started campaign. I was like, this might be the best dungeon I've ever made. I really like this dungeon. What's a good dungeon? And there wasn't really any other dungeons in this campaign. There was like, everything else was sort of moments. It was, oh, you went into the, the black site, but then it was a boss fight with the dark trooper. Or you went to the next black site, and it's a boss fight with Chiva. How many How many sessions were we in that dungeon? Three or four? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, haven't, I, I think it was about three. 
It was a number. It was definitely a number, I think. Um, it could have been a letter or maybe a symbol. You know, my favorite moment happened right before that. I think my, one of my favorite moments so far is is the truth and dare scenario where you guys are just kind of having fun. That was a lot of fun to me. It was one of the moments that like, made me feel so bad about like Hope leaving the story. Um, but I really didn't want it to be Hope's story. I wanted it to be your story. But I loved that moment so much. It was so much fun. You mean truth or truth? <laughs> we, used, we used dare like twice. I, d- I did dare. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, well, you know, somebody fell in the water, another person had turned off their biofilter, <laughs> somebody had to do magic, it was, it was fun. What were maybe some of your, your favorite roleplay moments, or moments at all from the campaign? Investigation episode, <laughs> hands down. <laughs> you with me on that, too? Yeah, yeah, that was good. That was a very fun episode. I'm glad I got the idea to go and get the hats and the trichotes. Bouncy Castle, can't forget that. Yes. Yeah, I was actually about to say uh, the magical flying Lazy River. Or it's called. You guys destroyed the bouncy castle with your claws. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed. I actually had like three or four more encounters planned for the battle square or whatever I called it. At this point, we couldn't get to it. I totally understood why. They were very deadly. But I had designed them specifically with you guys in mind. I really enjoyed them, even though they <laughs> almost killed you. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I thought the the circus was really cool. Another really cool way to include something in the world that like is outside of cyberpunk. Mm. And and we got a leftover. What was it? Tom? Was that his name? Oh, I forget. Oh, yeah. Or was it Steve? It was Doesn't, Steve. Was it Steve? It, it doesn't matter. Bob. Well, I, it was Bob. Because Bob wanted it was you to Bob. have a It was definitely Bob. Day. That was improvised. That the whole idea that they were boring or sounding. I <laughs> love that so much. <laughs> I couldn't stand it. Yeah. <laughs> you do that really well, Kate. That was fun with the hot dogs and all that. That was all improvised fun stuff. But you know, with the Slender Man, I, I've always <clears throat> excuse me, I just went through puberty there. Uh, <laughs> Slender Man has always been something that's hit me uh, very. Uh, I'm using phrases that don't exist. Something I've always really enjoyed. I remember even talking to um, Wes about it in our interview or our conversation with him on Pathfinder Academy. Uh, I was happy to be able to do it, and I wanted to keep true to the idea because I, I imagined him as an eldritch sort of Lovecraftian cosmic horror being instead of what he really is or whatever he really is. I try to incorporate, I may even make statistics for him to be a great old one. And I really, I really um, wanted to sort of make him the unspeakable horror that he is and not give you all the answers about him, but give you enough. And the whole idea like that, we didn't even know it was Slenderman until you actually laid eyes on him. And then the very next session you, you, you fought him and defeated him, but he, his influence lingered throughout the rest of, of the season. I felt anyway, people going insane, the slender sickness being spread by the canister and what was made out of it. But Slenderman had always been very interesting to me, and I was happy to, to try to imagine him and an encounter with him in a tabletop RPG. And what was good was I've never played any of those games before. The mm-hmm. um, How many pages is it? Eight pages, seven? Eight, eight pages, something like that. I've never played those, so I had no idea what was going on during that whole time. I've known of Slim- Slenderman, you know, of the phenomenon and all that of of that, but I've never played any of the games or anything like that. Did you? Did you end up? You can be honest. Did you end up liking his his, his incarnation in this? Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, I think it was was better than than I could have done. I mean, I well, his, you should you shouldn't say that because it was you guys who made his encounter interesting. His encounter relied solely, not solely, but almost completely on you guys role playing very well yeah. these effects that were given to you. At any point, you could have just not played well, like, oh, I attack him anyway. But you played it well, where you, like, Landris really thought that Victor was the Slender Man, he's running away, which is the worst thing to do, that he's about to get in a fight. But you really you really acted that out well. Paranoia. Mm. No, that whole encounter was, was very reliant on you guys, and you guys did very well. <laughs> I, out of game, 
think Slenderman's kind of lame. Oh. And the fact that I don't have any bad feelings about that whole, like, I have nothing bad to say about that means that it was probably done really well then, because I specifically don't think Slenderman's that cool. <laughs> okay, well, yet another reason you're not in season three. <laughs> Wait, Slenderman coming back? Spoilers? Nope, just because you don't like the things I like. <laughs> I, I think it's it's really Slender difficult. Slenderman's coming back as a anime cat person, so... <laughs> Neko, what is it? Neko man. Neko. <laughs> Neko man. Uh, it's, it's exactly the way Slender Man looks, but he has cat ears, and instead of instead of tentacles, <laughs> those are tails. Uh, but I, like I said, horror is super hard to do. Um, fear is really hard to do. I think it was an interesting take on the encounter. The whole facing thing is something really hard to represent, mm-hmm. and like you know, the way the characters are oriented isn't ever a subject of conversation. Sure. Um, but I think it was all handled uh, really well. And even having played the game before, I, I I don't think I've played it, but I've at least seen it. I understood the concept of it. It felt, um, it still had that air of mystery, probably not as much as Tim was experiencing, having never experienced that, you know, mm-hmm. game before. But I still wasn't like 100% sure that, you know, is this going to work? Am I doing the right thing? Yeah, even when you collect the pages in that game, you still lose. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I did I don't think I knew that. I forgot. And, you know, in, in that area of the archives... One moment I was very excited to see what you guys were going to do with it was the one of you has been replaced. I would like to hear what were your thoughts? What did you, who did you think was being replaced or did you think anybody was being replaced? What were your, what was going through my player's mind when they got that message? I didn't think I was replaced, but (laughs) I thought someone else might have been. It's unfortunate. It's something we didn't get to flesh out a lot because we immediately got into a scenario where we had to cooperate not to die. Mm -hmm. Landris had a strong suspicion it was him. Wait, you thought you had been replaced? Yes. Oh. Because he, he said that, um, this is something I extrapolated on in a journal, but um, he had attacked Vic beforehand. Uh, oh, yes, I think I'm remembering now. So, like, that was his logic. I'm the only person that has attacked someone else. It's probably me. Oh, interesting. His his other thought that Vic was in a suit, and that's why he kept telling Vic to take the suit off. Which was, um, which was true, because you were the one that was kind of replaced, so... In a sense, yes. But Landers is like, of all the people that would probably betray someone here and has attacked someone here, it would probably be me. So I I likely got replaced somehow. He didn't think like his whole person had been replaced, but he thought there was like something wrong with him. Booker. I'm bringing up Booker um, because we never got a good resolution on him. I'm just curious as to whether or not he was actually brainwashed or if he's just really dumb. (laughs) Uh, another part of that, you know, the theme of this season, or, or, or one of the themes in the season, was having that unsatisfactory end to a lot of people, and Booker was one of them, even though he's more of an enemy than a friend, or at least ended up being that way. Booker's very interesting. Booker, originally, when I made this this campaign, I sort of had him to be like what he started out to be, this like young, brash new guy. And then when the lore ended up being no one can be younger than 60, I was like, oh, oh well, I'm doing it anyway, we'll see what happens. And so you know, a reason had to to come out, and what sort of really did come out was that men, uh, Booker was not neurotypical, uh, mentally handicapped would be a synonym for that, uh, a less sensitive one. Oh. And, and that's the way it was. And so he saw the world in a very different way and had very different um, abilities and things as, as, as other people, as neurotypical people, uh, especially in this, this world. And so he was very open to influence and just different things that was uh, part of that, that, that state of being. And so as, as you would have these like sort of things, like I think a very rash way to say it and maybe a way that the players, the, the, the characters felt would be like, this isn't how a normal person acts and this wouldn't be a problem with a normal person. Why can't I just get through to him? Well, that's the way I think a lot of people might feel when interacting with somebody who's not neurotypical. Um, I don't know. I, I think a lot of people, I, I, would, I, would, uh, I would venture to say that almost everyone at least knows somebody if it's not in their direct family 
that is non-neurotypical. So it's it's something that I think we can all sort of identify with and interact with at one point or another. Maybe it's not as widespread as like everyone has family that's had cancer almost universally. And it's it's really hard to find somebody who has can't trace somewhere. But anyway, so Booker was like that. He, uh, after the injury, Red kind of got to him. And this is all stuff you guys can go to the wiki and you can read. I have a wiki where I sort of put out everything that we didn't really get to. And I get to sort of put out all the stuff that made characters who they were and what happened to them. So if you want to know more about any of the characters, you can go there and you can usually find out more information about these guys. Uh, but on Booker, you can kind of read and you'll find out more about him. You can go there and find out. But essentially, you know, Red kind of got to him. And, who we all and, love, by the way. Yep, we all do love her. <laughs> yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And had her, as she kind of had him to, to, to get the canister from you guys. He was originally, my first idea was to make him join Comet, but it's worked out better for him to be with, with Red, uh, who was already part of the conspiracy and who was having that battle within herself, uh, which was part of her character to try to, you know, put forward the conspiracy's plans in a way to unite everybody, but in the same way Salt was happening to you guys. That was very conflicting for her. That's why in some ways she helped you and in some ways she harmed you. Hmm. Another thing I like to do is not have characters that are one-dimensional. That happens sometimes. It needs to happen sometimes, but I try not to have it happen with the majority of my characters. I think a lot of times it can create, it, it, it starts out creating problems and then ends up creating way better role playing. Uh, when my, my, because my care, my players sort of getting the idea of, okay, well, this person did this, so they obviously are against us. But then later on, you're like, this doesn't make any sense because they helped us. I don't understand. And once you start, my players, and this happens almost all the time with my players, sort of get out of that mindset where they realize that they had it or not, you sort of gain the depths of characters. That's what really kind of cool stuff comes out of. But Jimmy Lang was hunting us, so he's a bad guy, and then you kind of, Oh, he's just a guy who's trying to be better at a job, whatever. To he's got all this pride, he's trying to hit all this stuff. Oh, he's and there's even a point where that led to something great with Jimmy Lang, where when you were to confront him, you're like, "You're not a bad guy, and I know it. You're doing this for a reason. What's that reason?" That was a cool moment. I think the the words were, "You're not as dumb as you sound." <laughs> <laughs> sea monsters? Are there sea monsters? What was going on with the navy? Why was there a navy? There wasn't really too much of a navy, but the, the, the this navy that does exist, you, with that much ocean, you have to enforce the laws that you have to the people that are in it. Uh, and also that one was specifically uh, reconfigured, redesigned. You can look on the wiki, it talks you a little more about it, was to protect the area around the archives, make sure nothing gets in and especially nothing gets out. Mm, okay. That's That was the Capella's mission. Tim, is Victor going to kill himself for a gonna... short run to season three? <laughs> He's like, get, first episode, I get up, kill myself. Um, no, I, I, I'm still thinking about all the things that he's thought about. Is he going to take something out on Hope? Because pretty much he killed his wife. Though, you know, it wasn't her choice. But, you know, these are the, the thoughts that were going through my head while while we were closing it out. It's like, what what's all going on here? And why am I saying yes to I- Ioma Day? Because... Am I even mad? I'm mad at her right now. So things I'm going to have to think about and explore when we hit season three. Yeah, yeah, that's all nice. But how'd you feel about Landris? How'd, how'd Victor <laughs> feel about Landris? That, that... Because <laughs> you're, you're, you're reading my journals. You're getting an idea of how Landris feels about Vic. Uh, Victor uh, really, really likes Landris, but thinks that Landris probably doesn't like Vic too much. Like, it's almost like Landris is the cool kid and... Victor was the the kind of the the nerd who gets to hang out with the cool kid. So you're always wondering why is he with me? You know why why is he have me around? It's kind of the thought that Victor always has about Landris. That's so weird because Landris' thought was like, I'm such a crap bag. Why is Victor hanging out with me? Right. <laughs> like, does he not know I'm a bad person? <laughs> that was such a weird dynamic. 
I think Victor and Lamarus worked really well together, and it was a very, um, it was a relationship that I don't think we see in a lot of stories. I think it was unique, and I think that's what made it very interesting. Yeah. It wasn't the typical, well, we're adventurers, and we have a common goal, man. I think they were very different from each other. Very different. Uh, can disagree, but can still come back and, and, mm-hmm. and, and love each other, in a way, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah, I'm so glad. This is, I'm glad I remembered this because I wanted to mention this. I, I felt bad, especially because I had such a tight role in the story. I could make things happen when I wanted to. I always felt like I'm really giving Lanris more attention than I'm giving Victor. And that's because I thought that his relationship was more open to some interesting developments than a sort of already established relationship that he had, that Victor had with Sarah. And with Lanris and Kentaro, but I, 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 very quickly, and I said, you know what? I'm planning for Victor to be in season three. He's going to get a lot of time to shine then. Maybe it's okay for Victor to get, Landers to get a little more attention in this season since he's going to be going away. I was really okay with that. Um, I'm so happy to hear that because <laughs> I, I remember, I think I even talked to you at one point and went, how are you feeling about this? I know this is happening. Right, right. No, yeah. And I was, I was really fine with it. I, I was fine with Landers kind of taking the, the kind of the main character type role, uh, even though we were both main characters, but Party Take face it, is usually the term. Yeah, yeah, party face. And um, I was fine with that. Be- and, and I think it made sense for that. I'm glad because I felt bad about it. There'd be times where I, like, I'd finish saying something and be like, when's the last time someone spoke to Victor? <laughs> but I think I think the things that Victor did were very important. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel left out. Because like Iomade kind of chose him. And yeah. and so and, and he was unraveling the truths about things that, that Landris really wasn't because he was kind of busy having this relationship and, and doing those types of things. So in some ways he was, Victor was kind of the ones, the one that was unfolding the plot. Mm-hmm. Is how I kind of feel. So I didn't, I didn't I feel bad about it. With, with Kentaro and Landris, that was another thing that sort of defied conventions. They had such a huge age gap between the two of them. And that's something I've always had the feeling of. I, I can't say whether I've like made this is I'm certain about this and I and I believe it biblically uh, about how age difference doesn't matter once you sort of reach a point of consent and, and maturity. Of course, uh, that somebody who's thirty could marry somebody who's eighty if that was such a if such a thing wanted between the two of them. So it was really interesting. Something I hadn't planned on doing, sort of sort of happening, and that sort of uh, dynamic to their relationship made it feel interesting to me. Other than just oh, I like you and you like me. And let's go <laughs> on the Barney show together. I thought that was, it was fun and led to an interesting dynamic between you two. I mean, the thing with Landers is that above all else, he's a narcissist <laughs> and loves himself and would be with anyone that really paid attention to him. <laughs> Literally anyone <laughs> that wasn't ugly and paid attention to him. Um, Qatar just happened to be the first person that really like, you know, made that step forward. Um, and it's something I write about a lot in the journals and that like, he's really not sure how he actually feels because of all the pressure. Like he, he, because of his mental state, he needed Kentaro. He needed someone to confide in, um, someone that was on his side in that sense. Um, and he was like, well, if I didn't need it, like if we weren't in this scenario, would I actually be with him? And that, that's something he struggled with. And it was ultimately ended up being like his arc of like he was ultimately a selfish person but tried to turn his selfishness around to make it work for other people so are you gonna publish these journals i don't know that that's that's caleb's decision yeah um it's suffice to say i'm thinking about it it's something that um here's a peek behind the curtain and that comes in a gift monetization uh of a of, of the podcast is something i've on purpose put off uh, i want to wait a while 
I'm willing to do like advertisements for all I know at this point. We've run a couple advertisements. Um, but when it comes to like Patreon and directly asking my listeners for money, something I'm I'm putting off for a very long time on, until I feel the time is right and I feel the the, the asking is is right, uh, not just like pay for the podcast. Um, but it, it I have a plan that I want to ask for something a little more specific. But plans always happen the way you want them to, and there may come a time where I feel the right move is to move to a Patreon like monetization plan. And if I were to do that. There is certain benefits people expect with the Patreon. They expect exclusives. Mm-hmm. And I've saved notes, documents, both handwritten and digital, all sorts of things to, to be able to give exclusively to those people if that was ever the direction I chose to be. I'm really feeling like the journal is one of those things. I think if a time occurs where I am confident, maybe even is the point where we do move into a monetization model and then it doesn't end up being Patreon, I would I would be happy to release those journals but I think they might be something that would be good if we ever did go into the Patreon direction. They are very good, very good. Um, I haven't finished them. Well, they're good. Yeah, well, they're good for an amateur. No, but they they are really uh, they're different. Each one. Different's a great word for them. I think they're different. No, I mean you're not getting the same thing each time. You're getting you're very definitely different. Definitely not getting the same thing that you would expect from an author. I'm trying to sell. I'm trying to help you here when you sell off this thing here. I'm trying to. Yeah, I definitely think he needs some help. <laughs> uh, but very, very good. I've really enjoyed uh, being able to read them. There's about a page and a half each for each session. Yeah. Oh, well, we we've been talking all about and haven't explicitly stated. Um, at the end of or in between every session, I write something from the perspective of Landris to kind of sum up his feelings on things that happen. Um, I'm glad you guys enjoyed them. It means a lot, actually. And that you think people should pay for them to read them. That means that's great. <laughs> it's incidental. It's when they get four pennies or something. Uh, it's actually inspired me. I like, uh, I've taken it from you. I now write journals at, when I'm a player in between session. I'd really recommend it to people. It's really cool to sort of get that out. I always would think about things in between sessions. Now, I don't know why I never thought to just write them down. Something I wish I might have would have done. But now I'm starting writing like a, a summary of the sessions that I'm GMing now, which kind of helps. Too. Mm. A little, little snippet or a little sneak peek into the journals is that when Guitar proposed, Landers is totally going to say no, but didn't get the chance, which gave him time to think it over um, and think about like who he wants to be and turning his selfishness around and being the keeper of other people's happiness, um, being the keeper of other people's safety. He spoiled that, that. That's what he saw himself as. I hadn't gotten that far. <laughs> uh, that reminds me of, the, of a moment I really liked was where Kentaro... I think, yeah, he first made that proposal, I think is what that, that moment. And Lamers couldn't talk because the boogeyman had covered his mouth. And like, because that was like a sort of like, it was a, a cool, depressing moment where Kentaro was like, he doesn't even want to answer. And I felt so bad for Kentaro in that moment. But it all it all ended up super happy, right? Kentaro uh, was also a very uh, good NPC that I'm glad we had pretty much every, every time we had with us. Um, really helped, I think, flesh out the story and flesh out our characters and, and help in battle. I think he was all around uh, a very balanced NPC. So. Oh, thank you. I, I had received one of the only compliments I received uh, <laughs> was that from the first season was that, hey, your NPCs feel like they're real. And so I decided to immediately challenge that by adding about 100 NPCs the first chapter. It's like, all right, well. We'll see if I am good. Here's nine NPCs I need to have separate personalities. Let's go. Booker, Tally, Tar, Marcus, let's go. I'm glad Kentaro at least developed into something. I didn't feel that way about all of them. I felt Tar was very one-dimensional. I'm big guy. I mean, I'm gruff. Well, we've never seen that before. 
Um, I'm glad I'm glad Kentaro turned into something interesting. But we we speak before about tropes and how tropes are perfectly acceptable. Like you you've expressed that to us that you didn't you felt like you weren't doing a good job of uh, flushing out the AAA NPCs. Where I I don't know I don't I think both me and Tim disagree. I thought they were both. I thought all of them were interesting. Yeah. Except maybe Tally. Yeah, I I was about to say I think Tally was the only one that didn't get flushed mm-hmm. out as well as probably she could have before she got cut down. <laughs> before she got cut down. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, and we, uh, the, this is part one of the Q&A. Part two of the Q&A, we get fan questions. And inevitably, we're going to get the questions, who are your favorite NPCs and things like that. So we can talk about that in the next Q&A. But why don't, we, uh, why don't we round this up with one more question from each of you guys? Something we can talk about is not specifically the specific romance, but the inclusion of romance and relationships in a campaign and how it was handled here. Is this a Pathfinder Academy episode now? Yes. <laughs> Welcome to Path. Here are your professors. Ooh, I get to be a professor. Um, but it's it's definitely it's definitely not a direction I ever planned to take Landris. Hmm. Um, it just ended up being a circumstance of the story. It was very fitting for his character, but it's definitely not something like I ever aimed to do. Um, but it ended up happening anyway. And it's not the way I started out things either. We've talked about so much about railroading. I don't think I've made it clear that when I've come up with a story, I railroaded to go that way. I didn't have everything planned the way that it was going to go from the start. And one of those things was the relationship with Kentaro. I saw it start happening, and so I started creating things off of it. And a lot of that, because it's a romance, really, I couldn't plan too far ahead because I really relied on the reaction of Landris. And there's also Sarah and Victor, which, although that wasn't, you know, in the forefront. That I, that I did all, plan. All the time. Because <laughs> uh, I, I wrote I wrote her into the, the backstory, so I, I planned for that. But just for a, kind of to have him grounded in this world... Um, you know, not be the loner. Everybody's dead and all that stuff. I wanted to sure. have a family. I wanted him to be a, a blue collar worker. Mm-hmm. And you know, most have families that they're they're raising money for and those types of things. And though he couldn't have kids, that's what he he always wanted was was kids. And um, so that relationship was there. And then, but I I know that was hard on Caleb because it's like, oh well, now I had to play this character who I didn't really create. And uh, so even though she doesn't appear much, I was I was okay with that because I knew that was hard on him. You know, I, I did have trouble sort of creating Sarah's character and, and thus role playing her. I think it's why she ended up being, quote unquote, boring, as Landris <laughs> would often say. Uh, Landris would say she is lame. <laughs> Sorry, lame. Uh, I, and I never really found a spot I was happy with for her, her character. And, and I'm sure that affected the story in, in ways. I originally had the same trouble with Dahlia, but I quickly found her place. And I sort of like loved where she ended up going. I, yes. I, oh, I loved when, when she would dominate over her brother and her brother would kind of like, Lance would like hide behind her. Like, yeah, that's right. I love that <laughs> so much. Uh, but I, I don't know. I had a lot of trouble with Sarah, and I feel bad about it. But I think in a way it's fine because it's also that blue collar thing. We're always going to work. We're not always seeing each other. And that's why when things happen, it kind of makes sense. Um, you know, when Vic cheated on her, it was, well, I haven't, it was partly because I'm cursed, but it's also because, well, I haven't seen her in a long time, and I'm not with her, and I need something. I need to touch someone or, you know, have a relationship with someone. And, uh, and so, you know, that's why these things happen. And the one decision I did make with her is I didn't want her to be the sort of person to be like, ew, you're changing. I don't like it. I wanted her to, to, I wanted to be, you know, mature relationship where you're beyond that first and couple phases where you're just so dedicated to each other. Right. And, and like when you were changing, you had metal parts and she sort of found it sexy. I'm like, why, why did you, why does everyone have to, I didn't want it to be like, oh, well you're, oh, it's gross, the metal, but I'll love you anyway. I actually kind of wanted to be like, 
I kind of like you with those things, these things. I think yeah, they're cool. Yeah, it's, it's a change. It's something that's exciting and something different. <laughs> yeah, because their life is so lame, they need <laughs> stimulation. <laughs> I think you did express that one part about, like, it was something you wanted to do, not just the mace, uh, in-game, where you said, like, you were struggling with that, and, like, it was partly my own emotions, just mostly exemplified right. by it. It's not like it, it put something there that wasn't there. It took what was there and brought it to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I thought I thought was a really, really elegant way to put and that. And we call that Slickter, by the way. Slickter, hashtag yes. Slickter. Caleb calls it Slickter, and you're not allowed to call it Slickter, <laughs> listeners. Please tweet at Caleb, hashtag Slickter, uh, with your best Slickter drawings. Evil, evil Victor is Slick. And then whoever's Twitter handle is Caleb will be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, T Blazer Network, no, 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 you know what no, I mean. I don't need to hear the Slickter. <laughs> I, um, the romance... With Kintaro was a fun one to roleplay. My favorite moments of G- was as playing a game was when I got to do a romance as a player with another player. That was a lot of fun. And you look, know, this is like to me second best to do the to the GM to the character, the player. I had a lot of fun with it. I, I had fun making it dynamic. Was it awkward for you at all? Was it awkward for me? No, I thought maybe it was gonna be because it was gay mm-hmm. and I'm not gay. I thought maybe this would be weird. Yep. It's already weird enough when you have to be like the busty barmaid hitting on the uh, the adventurers, like oh. And I thought this was going to be weird. Not even a little bit. Not even at the beginning. Yeah. It just really seemed. I really didn't have a problem with it for whatever reason. Yeah, because it wasn't. It wasn't really gay. It was just a normal relationship. Just happened to be two dudes. Hey, he's making a point. <laughs> Time to push hey, political agenda. Yeah, uh, I was about to say, hey, could you not push your agenda on me, Christian? <laughs> I would appreciate. I'm marching right down to Charlottesville I'd right now. Some tolerance. Thank you very much. <laughs> I think if you want to hear a little more about that, uh, I did an episode for Pathfinder Academy called Sensitivity and Respect. I talk a little bit about sort of that from my Christian perspective, if you're interested in hearing that at all. But yeah, it felt good. It felt fine to me. I liked it. I always enjoyed role-playing the romance parts. And I, the I biggest problem, the only part that is difficult for me is trying to make it tasteful. Because regardless of the sex, I, I just don't want to talk about sex in any sort of graphic way in my, po- in my right. jamming at all. What I ended up doing... Uh, for the editing, it's just sort of like the fade to black, where I just faded to a song, and I thought that was uh, that was the most tasteful way I could think of doing it, and I hopefully it turned out being tasteful. And that you know, kissing and stuff is fine to talk about, but even that, it it feels awkward to say. Not in the same way talking about sex does. I feel talking about sex just felt like that feels taboo. That feels um, just sort of like there's no real big benefit to it. Uh, talking about kissing felt weird in a different way, whereas just saying he kisses her. Something about that feels so detached over something that's supposed to be very uh, involved. Right. Exactly. It was a little... You'll, you'll notice if you look back, uh, Landers appears like a prude because Kataro makes all the first moves. It was mostly because like I wasn't sure where <laughs> Caleb would to take it from there. I was like, I'm just going to let Caleb do it because like I don't know where we're going to cut it off here. Mm-hmm. And and that was always strange for Kataro because Kataro had the complexity of being abused as a child. Right. Which was sort of the, the in-fiction reason for him not wanting to show a lot of affection publicly. Uh, so he was sort of damaged in that way. I was very careful. I Hopefully it worked out. I didn't want it to be... This was a, a trope I didn't want. There's two tropes I really didn't want to fit into. Consciously, like, I do not want to fit into these two tropes. One was with Hope. I did not want her to be a, a girl who had daddy issues. I think it would be impossible and stupid to try to play her as not being a child who grew up without a parent. I think that needed to affect her and she needed to have that in her life that was what that was what happened to her but i did not want her to specifically always hit girl with daddy issues a fatherless Mm -hmm. child 
is what I wanted, not a daddyless girl. Do you understand what I'm saying? And no way am yes. I saying that doesn't exist in the real world or that that is something that isn't, um, cannot be a deep and emotional thing. It's just not where I want. I feel like that story's been told far better in a million different places. I couldn't do it any better. I had no desire to. And another place I specifically did not want to hit that trope was with Kentaro having, uh, because he was abused, now his whole sex life is ruined. Especially because that is something a lot of people would bring up when it comes to gay relationships. Oh, you were abused as mm-hmm. a child and that's why you're gay. I didn't want that to be it. I hope it didn't come across that way. I did my best. Uh, no, no, not at all. I, I it, it was on purpose that like he didn't show the affection up front of people because he was abused as a child, and that just it left emotional scars. How could that not be? That would be that would be distasteful in saying that that sort of thing wouldn't affect people, which is a foolish thing to say, and I think a very insensitive thing to say is to steal away parts of people's lives that I didn't want to do. I wanted to affect him, but not in that way. So yeah, I know Katara was it was kind of fun to play that relationship and the complexities uh, of how he's grown up. I mean, he's eighty year old too. Like he's not a twenty year old who's still working through what happened to him when he was ten. He's however old now, a hundred and something. I don't even like I can open up this character sheet and find out. But he he's well beyond the age where he's he's figured it out. And when he brought it up to you, it was like emotion. It was an emotionally open moment. But he wasn't like, oh, now I'm finally dealing with this for the first time. I think he even said to the something to the point of, I've dealt with this. I've moved on. Uh, I just wanted you to know this about me. He is 110 bunny person. I mean cat person. <laughs> what were Vic's, not Tim's, what were Vic's thought on their relationship? On we Vic? all know how Lanris felt about Sarah's. <laughs> um, Vic was okay with it. You know, he was he was fine with it. He was supportive and um, he wanted his buddy to be happy. Aw, he's a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I think he's seen, you know, he knew Lanris for a little while and I think he's just seen that he this is an unhappy guy. Uh, he needs to be happy like me and Sarah are happy. So cool. I think that's that's was the whole feeling. Um, I hope I I hope I <laughs> can say that <laughs> he wasn't jealous at all. <laughs> <laughs> Those muscles. <laughs> no, I think I think that was well, well. I don't think they ever spoke directly about it in game, but I would definitely. I mean, that fits entirely with what I would expect Victor to but, feel. But also, um, Victor kind of didn't realize it at first what was going on. I think it took him a while <laughs> until they were like pretty blatant about it before he was like, oh. Oh, y'all guys ever think? Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so at the beginning of it, he was always just walking in on them and, you know, just being goofy, but... <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Be like, oh, hey, what are you guys doing? Yeah, that was always great. What did that happen? Because that was vindictive. I forget what you had upset me about, but I was like, no, I even said out loud, like, in, I left it in the episode. Nope, everyone's going to interrupt you now. Oh, I wish I could remember. It was at six or seven or something. It was early. I know you had a lot of it, a lot planned out, uh... But I know that there was some things that, that changed. I know that uh, how many other things did just didn't happen? <sighs> it's hard to remember um, because a lot of it, when the plan was made, it was set in stone. Uh, very little chance to move it. Some things more, more set in stone than others. But until plans were made, things were kind of open. Things were left open, like the relationship. I really wanted that to be sort of dictated by Lanris, uh, how, how that happened. Uh, but some things that changed. Pretty much anything that happened in the um, the, the Magical Mystery Tour. Mm-hmm. was pretty much unplanned. Obviously, I planned the encounters, but I'll let you choose whether or not you had them. Um, hmm. What were some things you changed my mind on? Oh, yeah. Koba was not supposed to go into the archives with you. I was. I thought, I'm like, you stupid people. Why would you pick Koba? Everyone else is better than her. Uh, yeah, you had a good justification. It's fine. Uh, but that... We did. I, I just said you did. It sounded like you're being sarcastic. Uh, but that was, that was something that was definitely not planned. Um, so, yep, her death is solely on your heads. Uh, so you didn't have that plan there. Koba's death was not planned. Eventually it was. 
It was not planned from the start. I think it was planned like the episode before she died or two episodes before. That was a that one was one that really that kind of was like, oh, no, you know, this is somewhat of applause because oh, no. she's screaming, you know, help me, grab help the, me, help the, yeah, grab me. And, and we're trying to do it and missed. Yeah, Ko- Koba. I liked Koba's character a lot. Kind of wish she was around a little more just because how much I liked her character. I love that sarcastic, sassy girl. <laughs> Kentaro might have had some competition then. Mm-hmm. That was that. There was a thing that I didn't have planned. So you guys affect the outcome. Like, what were you going to do with the stuff in her safe? I kind of felt bad about it because I don't like to include. I, we've mentioned this privately, but we never mentioned this on recording. I don't like to include sexual content unless there's a reason for it. And so, like that was like really heavily relying on. I hope they have they come up with a reason that makes me feel like it was worth it to have it in there. I don't know if that ended up being happening. Not a slight on you guys. It's my fault. Um, but that was completely up to you guys. That's hard. There was, there was there was a surprising number of things that were that weren't planned until you guys sort of set them in a direction. I'm sorry I'm having so much trouble coming up with things. You've asked the best questions, Tim, and I just have the worst answers. <laughs> oh, Booker. Jeez Louise. This, was, this is not answering your question, but it just made me think of it. The entire reason for Booker's existence, I messed up. His whole reason for his existence was to surprise you with the phrase... Looks like the situation has changed. He was going to be disguised as a police officer in the bank heist, and he in your battle with Alarak, he was supposed to turn on you. And that was his entire purpose, was for that moment. And I forgot about him. And he ended up having his moment, which was not as exciting, in the battle with the Red, and I hated it. Booker's entire purpose was destroyed because of my forgetfulness. Which listeners don't have the benefit of not hearing, which I said, what, maybe one every three episodes? Darn it, I forgot something. We gotta go back. But that was something that was just too far to go back. Ugh. I never knew whether or not you were going to use those that, that book of incantations. That was completely up to you to get rid of your curse if you were ever going to, or to even talk with Iomade. Locke's death, I, I that was up to you whether or not you were going to kill him. And it looked like you weren't going to, and then you did. <laughs> That's what I was going for. Um, so if he if he hadn't been killed though, what was the plan? He probably would. Uh, he probably just would have taken the place of Shaw as being you know arrested. Shaw would have also been arrested, but as you know, being arrested and then going on trial. Maybe I would have had a thing or two about him trying to escape. That would have been interesting for you guys to deal with. Uh, you definitely would have had more. We would have had an opportunity to have a conversation with him. Good. I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Just one last question. Why do Gripplies hate Vic so much? <laughs> all he wants to do is help him out. All he wants to uh, do, they just want to stab him in the back and do other ugly, ugly because, nasty things. Because they're bald and they're not letting somebody like you take that away from them. Oh, Sure, one had luscious blonde hair, but that was just one. <laughs> oh, you asked a great question. I'll answer that in Q&A too. You better. It's a good question. It deserves a better answer than I can come up with off the top of my head. He's just trying to mask the fact that none of our choices matter. <laughs> uh, well, the ending was going to be completely different and ended up changing. That, that's actually something I wanted to mm-hmm. ask if I could before we did. Yeah. You initially had the picture of Hope Baron, us, Quetzalcoatl, oh, Anubis. Yes, yes. Was that actually the plan? So when I put that in, I knew that I was going to have a problem because we might not get to that scenario. And the first time, like it immediately came up when you went, how do I look at the picture? Is my ear cut? I was like, I already have to make this choice. Uh, sure. Do I look any worse? No. What armor am I wearing? It looks a little different. <laughs> Similar. What weapon do I have? The same kind that you would... A bow. A bow. <laughs> you know, that's it's like... When you said something in the future, uh, it's difficult. So I had to allow the moment of, we might not get to this future. 
this 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 scenario might not occur and eventually it was determined when i decided that hope and baron were to leave the story because i really didn't want it to be about them i wanted their parts to be incidental i wanted the story to be about landris and victor so that was when when that decision was made i guess like the picture ended up never really having to happen one of the things i regret most was when i when you guys took a picture at the magical mystery tour i said this this isn't the picture from the that you guys got from hope i regret that i should have left the open interpretation um but yeah, so so. I mean, we we would have immediately asked. That's fine, and I and I should have said maybe. It looks like it could be. It's obviously different now. But anyway, I should have left that open interpretation. And that's a lot of things are on purpose. It might seem. I hope they don't seem like plot holes, but they seem like it wasn't developed enough. I like to leave a lot of things open. I didn't. I didn't want to explain the Slender Man completely. I don't want to explain the Boogeyman completely. I want to leave an air of mystery and, and let you, as a listener, one of my favorite things I do when I listen to stories and I partake in stories, is I get to fill in the blanks. You can go to the wiki, and I have it filled in the blanks for you because I need to have those blanks filled in to to roleplay a character correctly, in my humble opinion. When, when I come up with Kintaro, I have to know about him being an abusive child. That helps me make him into somebody that isn't just a trope or a stereotype. I didn't do that with Tar, and, and in my opinion, Tar became sort of a trope. So I have to do that with a lot of things, and I like to express that on the wiki. And you, if you're more interested in finding solid answers, you can go to the wiki, pdd.wikia.com. There's also links on the site uh, to get those answers. But if you want to leave the air mystery, that's super cool too. And, and that was the sort of thing with I should have done more with the picture. Uh, so there was a, there was a point where I decided you weren't going to get to the picture. That wasn't decided from the beginning of the picture existing. It was only decided when I decided to take Hope and Baron away. And even so, it was just those two that went away. You guys could have things changed, and like Kentaro was really became a part of the picture, both literally and figuratively. And so now he ah. was in the picture. That sort of thing. But the ending itself, my original concept of the ending was going to be uh, all of you guys saying the explosives and Hannibal's about to hit the detonator and Baron pulls the gun on Hannibal and says, don't do it. Uh, essentially, I'm going to kill you now. And everyone, there was going to be sort of conversations. There was going to be, you know, lines drawn in the sand and everyone was going to be able to point a gun at whoever they wanted to. I mean, all the party members there. And then everyone was going to roll initiative and that was going to determine how the guns were going to get fired. And so obviously... For example, if, if say Baron's pointing at so, Hope and Lammers is pointing at Baron, if if Baron had won the initiative, he would have shot Hope. But if Lammers did, he would have stopped her from shooting Hope. Uh, so Lammers would have won the ending in that case. <laughs> uh, you know, and it does, and that chain isn't isn't a one way chain because everyone's pointing at somebody else, right? So you're, just because you're stopping Baron doesn't mean it stops Hope. Doesn't mean it stops blah blah blah. Somebody else could be aiming at Hope. Whatever. Uh, two two major things happen. One, I couldn't come up with a way for that to happen that wouldn't just be everyone pointing their gun at Baron. Um, and two, I, I came up with Lannerus's death scene and post death scene. And I, and I, I loved it so much. I love that bittersweet moment so much that I, I really wanted that to happen instead. And which might be one of my favorite things. Like that was something I set up. You had that reoccurring dream on purpose because I wanted to finish that dream in your death. And, and it, and it also, I think helped put, put to bed will the, the, the final act of Willoughby. Do you guys want to know about Willoughby? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you sound like you really do. You sounded really excited. Go ahead. No, I, I, it's something I had forgotten to, I actually was interested in. I don't know if that's actually part of the lore of Slenderman or what. Will it be? And, and listen, guys, this is where we're ending the, the thing. So if you really want to keep an air of mystery about Will it be, end here. Thank you for listening. We're going to have a second Q&A. We'll have fan-submitted questions. We've a, you've probably heard me ask a couple times. This is your last chance to get in any fan-submitted questions for us to do uh, – and we'll be answering them on our last Q&A. And also in our next Q&A, we're going to be talking about 
what season three is going to look like. You know that there's going to be Christian. Uh, you know there's going to be Tim. You know there's not going to be Christian. You even do it in real life? <laughs> that, oh, I, I love running jokes, and I was happy in season one we had our running jokes. I hated that season two's running joke because I couldn't remember your names. Uh, and it's true. It even happened right now with your real names. That was the running joke of the season. Way better than the sweaty shirt running joke. I'm glad that ended. Um, but so anyway, thank you all for listening. You, got, you made you made that. <laughs> if you guys want to leave now uh, and not hear about the ups, about Willoughby, it's fine. Thank you all for listening. Let me tell you about Willoughby. There is a, a classic and very well known and it's sort of a a um, a a, uh, a fixture in television. An episode of The Twilight Zone. I think it's even called Willoughby. And there's this man and he has pretty much a boring life where he's walked over by everybody. And when he's on the train going to work, he falls asleep and he wakes up and it's and it's a train from, you know, the past. Steam locomotive sort of thing. And a conductor saying, you know, next stop's Willoughby. And when they get to Willoughby, it's a it's a he's no longer in the city. Now he's in the countryside. There's people like Huck Finn sort of era out fishing and, and having a great time and he sees it and then he always wakes up before he gets a chance to go take the stop at willoughby so at the culmination of this episode things are going so bad in his life he goes on a train to work he falls asleep and he wakes up and the guy's like willoughby next stop willoughby and the man looks at all the stuff and he finally steps off the train and goes to willoughby and he's like hey you want to go fishing one of the kids and they go off fishing and then it cuts to the real world, and it's a bunch of police saying, I don't know, this guy just kept muttering something about Willoughby, and then he walked off the moving train. Oh, well, I guess we'll never know what happened. And they put him in the hearse, and when they close the back doors of the hearse, the hearse says, Willoughby and Brothers, Funeral Home. And it's a very classic mm. episode of The Twilight Zone. Very well known. It was always interesting. I, never, I was afraid to ask, have you heard of that episode, Victor? Uh, Tim. No, I, I haven't watched a lot of Twilight Zone, so okay. I but I've heard of a lot of them, but I haven't heard of that one. You guys should look it up. It's very, it's so classic. You, you'll hear songs about it. There was a very interesting moment where Christian over Discord was like, "Oh my gosh, Willoughby is real. I'm hearing it in real life." Remember that? <laughs> yeah, there was a, there's a song by the band Bad Luck called Willoughby. <laughs> I was just, it was just popped up on my uh, like I didn't even remember adding it. I'm just listening. I was like, oh, what's this song? <gasps> <laughs> Slenderman is real. Uh, it's not tied to Slenderman at all. I've tied it to Slenderman. And it, there's been plenty of songs and other media that have been inspired by Willoughby. And I was inspired by it. And, and that that's what Willoughby was. I connected it with Slenderman, sort of added my own lore into it. But that is the origins of what Willoughby is by its original creators. And I made it into something different that I don't even want to tell you more about. That's as much as I want to tell you about Willoughby is what you've experienced in this show. Mm, I really like that. I had no idea. I know I'm not as old as Tim, but I've seen Twilight Zone. I know what it is. Okay, <laughs> thanks. I just knew that you hadn't seen the episode. Not that you hadn't seen um, oh. Twilight Zone. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, and he's just talking about ages, how, how old I am. I mean, ageism over here. <laughs> this old guy, him and Dom, always about age. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you should, you should uh, if you're interested, you should listen to the song. Train to Willoughby by Greg Bissonette. If you just type in Train to Willoughby song on even Google, not even on YouTube if you want. It'll be like the first video comes up. It's a fun one that's inspired by that. You should watch the show. It's good. All right. Uh, that's the end of this Q&A. See you next Q&A where you get to hear all about season three and we do your fan submitted questions. You guys excited? Yes. Yeah. Thank you all the listeners uh-huh. that are out there listening to us talk. Uh, love you. Uh, I appreciate you guys listening this far, and I hope you've enjoyed it. And I hope you're ready to hear me again on season three. 
<laughs> and I just want you guys all to know, to be sure that you know that I love you more than Christian. All right, bye. No, that's not true. That's not true. I, I love you more than everybody. <laughs>